Wake the dead. Wake the dead. Wake the dead. With Sean McCann. Greetings, and welcome to Wake the Dead. Today, I, we are privileged and very happy to welcome returning guest, Jerry Marzinski. He has had at least 40 years of a career working with schizophrenics, mentally ill patients in prison settings, in uh, clinical settings. Uh, we had a very long interview uh, uh, discussion about schizophrenia and the effects of schizophrenia and everyone can look up that episode i believe was number 59 of wake the dead and everybody should give that one a listen it's very informative and uh we learned many things that jerry hasn't said in other interviews and i'm very delighted that you shared that on my show here and uh welcome jerry and uh also we have anonymous a uh a gentleman that has come to give us firsthand experience of this phenomenon. And welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, Ella. I guess I guess I'll I'll roll here. Okay, um, please. Yes. You know, one one thing that, that we're doing here is, you know, the establishment and the psychiatric mafia does not give schizophrenics a voice. Matter of fact, they take it from them. They ignore them when they say you know, listen, these voices aren't hallucinations, they're very real, they're ignored. You know, not only are they ignored, they're drug silly. And, and schizophrenics have been trying to tell the psychiatric mafia for decades, these voices are very real, they're not hallucinations. You know, oh no, they're hallucinations, we say so. Based on what? Nothing, right. absolutely nothing, except their arrogant attitude. They've done no research on it. They just go, oh, this doesn't make sense, so it must be, it must be, uh, uh, a hallucination. So schizophrenics are suffering auditory and visual hallucinations because their brain is broken. There's a chemical imbalance there, which is a complete friggin' lie. Right. They, they made this up. The pharmaceutical industry made this up to sell drugs. When they came out with Prozac back in the 70s, they go, oh, well, we dump a, we, we dump a drug in the body and it appears to get better. So it must be some kind of chemical reaction that we're fixing to, to do it. I mean, there is no evidence of a chemical imbalance in the brain of schizophrenics or any of these other people. It's exactly. completely made up by the, the big pharma, you know, deep state pharma in the industry. Right. And um, we, we spoke on our earlier episode about how these drugs are a control mechanism to control and subdue the acting out of these schizophrenics. They're not trying to heal anything. They're just trying to lock their brains down to control their actions, correct? Right. They, they, they don't make any money curing anything. They don't know how to cure anything because they don't know what causes schizophrenia. You know, so they make up all these things. So it was a genetic defect. It was a chemical imbalance. It was the mother. I mean, you go through the, you know, the generations of it. It's like every five or six years they come out with some new, new thing, which they have no proof for. 
you know, right. and since the pharmaceutical industry's got so much money, they control the media, and they're still pushing this chemical imbalance thing even today after it's been disproved over and over and over. They're still pushing it. You look at their ads, and it's oh, it is believed that there is a chemical imbalance in <laughs> right. these drugs. You know, right. so they they switch their narrative a little bit to be slimy about it. And people can believe anything, really. You know. <laughs> Well, when you when you you know you put turn on your TV set, you know look it's drug right. commercial after drug commercial after drug commercial, you know so they big pharma controls the medical schools. They control what they teach, and back in the uh, uh, I think it was in the the thirties is you know the deep state took over the medical institutions. They right. uh, the Flexner report I think it was where. Um, Rockefeller and some of his cronies got together and go, medical schools will teach pharmaceutical medicine or they, they can't license anybody. Right. So, so total takeover. Total takeover. And from there on out, it was drugs, drugs, drugs. They bought off Congress. You know, they, they bought off everybody. Yeah, you know, they got they get a lot of money for this. And, and they're uh, still running things now. And and they're still running things now. You know, we look at the what happened with this virus bullcrap. You know, all all backed by them. Yeah, they've right. made they've made trillions of dollars over that. You know, they can now they're medicating they're medicating the healthy over and over again. I mean, yeah, they're even medicating dogs and cats. They go and and they're giving them yeah. the same dose as they do humans. Uh, it's it's Crazy. it's pathetic. It's, people need it just to wake goes up. to show that they treat us like animals. <laughs> yeah, so they don't make any money by curing anything. So. After studying schizophrenics for some 40 years, it's clear that these voices that they hear run fixed, repeatable patterns. You know, hallucinations don't do that. So what, what this is like, if you, if you have a big magnet, you have a magnet in your hand, you can't see that magnetic field. You can't smell it. You can't touch it. You can't taste it. For all practical purposes, it's, it's, it doesn't exist for you. You only know that it exists by the effect it has on the environment. Okay, right. schizophrenia is the same way. These voices that are parasitic entities, you only know about them by the effect they have on the person's internal environment and external environment. So we've composed a list of, of 20 or so of these patterns that these things run. Now, if you can reverse these patterns, all the voices disappear and the person returns to normal. They lose their power. They lose their power. They you disappear. Know, these these patterns have to be run. If you can, and that's how I started off when I was studying this stuff. I'd throw a monkey wrench into one of the patterns, and and I was working with prisoners. I'd say, okay, try this, and come back in a week and tell me how it's done. You know what what it did. And there there was year after year after year of that where I'd throw a monkey wrench in one or more of these patterns. And when you disrupted them enough, the person started getting better. And then reports started coming in from the person saying, the voices are really getting pissed off at you. Right. You know? we, we spoke in their other episode about how the voices planned on killing you. They, they said, who are you to interfere with us? Yeah, with Very our way of life. Creepy. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that was creepy. That blew me away. Yeah. So they don't like this. Right. You know, they, they don't like it. So you're uh, they, like you're taking up arms against these. So you're fighting a battle with these guys. Well, it is, it is a battle. You have yeah. to fight back. You know, right. this gets it's a spiritual war. It's a spiritual warfare. And, right. you, you know, it helps to have some tools. 
So, yes. you know, you can go to our website, those of you who families of schizophrenics and those suffering, go to our website at jerrymarzinski.com and go to the blog and the um, uh, articles section. And there's things you can fight back with there, which which will help a great deal. Right. You know, and it's so not it, electroshock or no, medication no, or anything. No, it's fighting back against the voices, what you can do to fight back against the voices. Beautiful. Uh, you have to take your power back. They're like they're like bullies. They'll they'll kick you, knock you down and just kick you. Just keep kicking until you get up and fight back. Right. You know? Right. So uh, I'm going to you know briefly go through a, a list of these patterns. <clears throat> And these are for you know, virtually all schizophrenics. These voices run these same patterns. Uh, they're first of all, they're consistently negative. You know, they virtually say nothing positive. It's all insulting, abusive, destructive, um, bad stuff. You know, mm -hmm. and you ask yourself, well, why is it? Why are they consistently negative? And then secondly, what holds them to these negative patterns? You know, there's something that doesn't let them divert from this negativity. So they're not like regular hallucinations that are all over the place. Some are positive, some are negative, some are awful, and everything in between. These are consistently negative. They're anti-religious. They don't want the person going to church. They don't want them talk, reading the Bible. They don't want them talking to preachers. Uh, they hate the 23rd Psalm. I've had several patients tell me that Reciting the 23rd Psalm, the voices react like worms thrown onto a hot frying pan. So what kind of hallucination would be would be adverse to religion? Exactly. You know, that makes no sense, but it's so. Right. So you don't believe what I'm saying, check it out for yourselves. Those of you who have schizophrenic family members or you work in clinics, check it out for yourself. It's right there in front of your eyes. All you got to do is see it. You know, they foster and create negative emotion. All of this abuse, all of this anti-religious stuff is all aimed to creating negative emotional energy, which they then drain off. So if you talk to schizophrenics and ask them, how do you feel after the voices attack? They're completely drained. Yet they have no energy. It's been taken from them. Now, they don't realize that because of the, the pandemonium associated with the voices. You know, it's like, oh, I'm feeling bad. The voices are screaming at me. They don't hardly notice that their energy level goes to, to nothing. Mm -hmm. um, so they energetically drain their victims, but they have to turn their mental state negative before they can take the energy. So you know, that, they, so that uh, if it's a positive radio, if the person is radiating positive energy, the voices can't attack. They can't feed on that. Oh no, no, they'll still hit you. But okay. the, it's it's like it wouldn't be a free a feeding frenzy. I see. You know, so yeah. You, so the you, it's uh, it's almost like blood in the water for sharks. Blood, blood in the water for sharks. Yeah, mm. and and. The more blood in the water, the more sharks. So I they're see. attracted to negative emotional energy. Right. So they're attracted to people with lots of trauma, you know, uh, emotional, physical, and sexual trauma. That's. That, uh, they, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, they 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 just get sucked right in there, but they hit us all. Right. You know, so you you may be wandering down the sidewalk, and all of a sudden you have this thought, you know, they jump in front of traffic, or you're standing on the bridge, and the thought, hey, well, why don't you just jump off? Those yeah. aren't your thoughts. You know, we're taught from the uh, young age to believe that all our thoughts are our own. That's far from true. And that's mm. what these things want. So they're they, testing. They're testing. Exactly. Wow. To see how much power they have. If they can uh, deceive yep. you into thinking it's your own voice, then they oh, have yeah. you. They, they want you to think those thoughts are yours. You so know, they're trying to find they, a way they, in when they're testing you like that. 
Yeah. And I've seen them where they start off with uh, pick up this pencil or go sit in that chair. Or, you know, it's like uh, a, a guy getting into simple, a, right. a new car trying to see how much control he has over it. Mm. You know, wow. so it, it, that was strange. Wow. Um, yeah. So they get they get louder after sunset, you know, <laughs> and you go to uh, old folks homes. They have something called sundowner syndrome where they all after sunset, they all start getting crazy. You know? uh, they get louder you, when ignored. Uh, you're going to say something? Yeah, I was going to ask, do you think that the elderly uh, are easier to attack? Is their consciousness not as firmly in yeah. their body? That's that's my belief. You know, they're mm. starting to fade out. Right. So they maybe are the, the amount of drugs attack. they're on because there's a lot of meds in those. Yeah, uh, they put they put them on a lot of meds too. But no right. meds or no meds, it still happens. Interesting. You know, and it happens after sunset. Right. So the um and so the, the and sun the, has a has a, a it it pushes away these yeah, voices. It, ha it has well, some really kind between of the, two o'clock to four o'clock in the morning is when they're really the strongest. Yes, really? call those what the witching hour, so to speak. Interesting. Yeah, exactly. You know, between two and four, if they're going to hit you, they're going to hit you then. And usually they start off with nightmares and then the person wakes up and they start screaming at them. So they wow. don't want you to get any sleep. They want you to be exhausted, hmm. you know, because you're, you're an easier target if you're exhausted. Right. Um, That's why they like the meth heads. So we've talked about that in the first episode about how the meth heads, they don't get any sleep. And then that leads to them seeing more of the shadow people and being more susceptible to... Uh, invasion of these it's a, it's a form of brainwashing in a sense by by these entities i'll call them interesting yeah they, they want you to believe that, that these thoughts are yours yes you know and if they get caught then they get punished which is interesting right have but, they ever you know, described their punishment yeah they said uh, they were sent to a place called the pit huh. whatever wow. that is Wow. And yeah, they they said if uh, you screw up, you you get sent to the pit. Wow. And I'm like, I don't know what the pit is. I it doesn't sound good. Probably, <laughs> it yeah. Doesn't yeah. sound like a good place. Right. Um, but yeah, they you know they insist that uh, the the victim not tell anybody about them. So they want they want to keep their presence secret. Right. You know, only to the their victim. Um, they can't be ignored because, uh, you, you know, I've heard psychiatrist after psychiatrist say, oh, they're just hallucinating. Just ignore them. Uh, doesn't work. You know, I, I remember the first time I called up, uh, I heard a psychiatrist do that. I was at the state hospital and I called the guy back a week later and I said, well, how'd that work for you? He said it didn't work at all. He said it did the opposite. They got louder. Wow. So I started questioning others and they all said the same thing. If you try to ignore them, they get louder. Like an angry child. It's just yeah, like, yeah, like a throw tantrum. They just, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. they won't be ignored. Wow. So they foster self-destructive behaviors, another pattern. They want you to screw up and then they want to jump on your face for doing it. You know, so, so that that would lead to more misery and that yes. then they can feed more on the blood that's in the water. You know, that, that leads yeah. you down a path of more misery and that they love that. Yeah, I've seen people go off their drugs. Uh, you know, we were working uh, for vocational rehabilitation and uh, we had a, a psychiatric rehab center at the state hospital. So we would treat, teach them uh, vocational skills. And I'll be darned, you know, as they were approaching, succeeding in their class and graduating, schizophrenics would always do something to screw themselves up. They'd shoot themselves in the foot, you know, get thrown out of class or uh, 
uh, you know, discharged or start using drugs or do something to get themselves, you know, self-sabotage. Yep. To sabotage yeah. themselves. And it was so yeah. common. It was like, you know, so yeah. they, they foster isolation. They don't want the, their victim talking to anybody. They don't want them to have any friends. They don't want them to have any family. They don't want them to have any associates. They want them alone in, in their room with the door locked. So all their attention goes to the voices. Right. The misery. You know, the misery. <laughs> right. And then they just beat on them the whole time. You know. So one of the worst things you could do for a schizophrenic is to let them isolate themselves. You know, this is a battle for their attention. Right. The victim has to fight back and, and regain his attention from right. these things because past a certain point, they're not coming back. You know, mm -hmm. there's nothing you can do for them except drug these people senseless. Right. And these are the guys that go out with the guns and murder everybody. They did just shoot people randomly. It's the voices telling them to do that. Right. And they're, they lose their will to say no to these voices. The voices have total control over them. You know, well, they, it's on it's in really some unusual. cases, in some cases, yeah, in some cases, right? You know? right. But it, there's always a fight for control because even even though the victim might not know that these are entities, they know something is trying to creep in and take them over, right? So, so they fight back the best they know how, but they don't have any tools to do it, you know. So, that's another reason. Visit, visit my website, there's a lot of free tools there for you, that's especially wonderful. in the in the um. Uh, article section right so so they they're constant. i'll make sure it'll lead to, to include the links for people so they can click right here uh down below this video so, oh good okay uh they're constantly maneuvering for increased control over their victims you know it's just a constant push for for more and more control and pushing other people out of the way uh they're constantly gaslighting their victims they manipulate perception so you know Somebody might be walking down the sidewalk. They hear somebody laughing behind them and the, the voices will tell the schizophrenic, Hey, they're laughing at you. They're mocking you. Hmm. You know, they're putting you down there. It's, you know, right. so, so, so they, they warp your perception to the worst right. possible interpretation. Uh, they have complete access to the memory of the schizophrenic. They're not physical. So they're energetic entities. They can be in two places at the same time. There is no time for them. Right. They don't exist in time. They live beyond time. Right. They, live well, they don't time. live, right? They just exist, I they, guess. They exist. So yeah. Alternate realms. Right, right. That's, it is. It is an alternate reality. Mm -hmm. They can go into the victim's head. They can pull out every rotten thing they've ever done, throw it in their face and blame them and make them feel guilty for uh, whatever they did to generate mm -hmm. that negative emotional energy. So the whole scenario is aimed at generating negative emotional energy. And the, the medications that these the psychiatric mafia insist as the only treatment doesn't stop these things. You know, wow. it's it, it's like if you were to get, you know, a bottle of Thorazine and you pour it on a magnetic field and expect a magnetic field to stop being a magnetic field. It has no effect on them. Right. You know? the All only it does effect is it damage has... their body. So they have less control over themselves, too. Like they even the their own consciousness can't control their body at that point when they're medicated that way. Well, after a while. So it's a very slow deteriorating process. Right. These, the phenothiazines destroy the brain. They shrink it. Yeah. And of course the psychiatric mafia and big pharma tried to hide that too. Right. You know, it's amazing. They're not getting the crap suit out of them. Yeah. Because you know, half the time they don't tell these patients what they do, what this drugs do to them. That's true. 
they don't uh-huh. give informed consent and they they're like a bully these companies you know and we have learned helplessness we've been beat up so bad by these you know and people don't think to stand up to these companies no or or the they psychiatrist should. you know right. here they're, they're drugging these guys to the point where they're drooling half the time and that psychiatrists who go, well, I'm the doctor. I know best. Right. Everybody oh, just goes along with believing the Everybody authority. Everybody just goes along with it. Yeah. You know, a lot of mothers are going, they're killing my kid. I mean, he's not even right. the same person anymore. There's got to be something else. There is something else. Don't right. let them, you know, fool you. Yeah. There Protect are ways to get children. rid of these things. Protect your kids yeah. from the doctors yeah. as well as the voices. Well, it's yeah. not that those medicines don't have a use. I mean, there's sure. there's a lot of people that I would not be able to reach if it wasn't for those medications. Good, good, mm-hmm. They're a good band-aid for the short term, but, yeah. but not for the long term. But, of course, the pharmaceutical companies make much more money and profits if they do it for the long term. Yeah, right. right. Like, uh, what, $34 billion a year just in the U.S.? Right. And plus, with the long term, they need to have other drugs to combat the side effects that are of the growing toxicity from the first drugs. Right. So they, yeah. they mask the toxicity of the first drug with the second drug right. while they're still rotting out your brain with, yeah. from, with the first drug. You just don't feel it. Right. You know? And um, they start kids young with it. I mean, we could go on and on oh, about yeah. this whole they, thing. You know, they've, they've got like, I don't know how many hundreds of thousands of children right. on these on these powerful psychiatric antipsychotic right. drugs now. Yeah. You know, oh, there's no reason for active. it. Yeah, they're too active. They're a little bit too active. They're causing problems. So yeah, yeah, just they're not following authority. Drug them, make them them calm down. down. (laughs) Yeah. Oh God. Anyway, so so the voices are consummate liars. You can't trust them to tell you the truth about anything. You know, and and if they are telling you the truth, a lot of times it's for your own destruction. Anyway, there were lots of prisoners told me that uh, when they ran out of their you know, heroin, or they ran out of uh, cocaine, uh, the voices would tell them where to be and when to be there to get it. And some stranger would walk up with the drug. Yes. Yes. I've heard you on other podcasts where uh, the voices told the guy where to find uh, cannabis growing in a field. Yeah. Hundreds of miles away. Yeah. He'd never been there and he would have no way of knowing any of this. And he just walks right there because he's following the voice and it's almost you know, some people think, oh, synchronicity and magic no. and like, man. <laughs> it's well beyond that. Right, right. You know, yeah. so they know stuff that the victim doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, and they use that to kind of come in. Hey, see what we know, you know, see what we can do. We can really, you know, do something for you. You you just go along with what we want and we'll give you this and that and uh, so, you'll be rich and we'll tell you which houses to rob and, you know, you'll have all the drugs you want. And oh, they're highly manipulative, highly manipulative. Yeah. Do you think so? Do you think that's because they also invade the other's brain and they can access all of their information and memories of the other person? And then the two separate voices can share in another No, no, realm? they don't work okay. that way. Okay, you know, okay. The voices in one person's head do not share any information with the verses in another person's head. Interesting. Matter of fact, I was I was curious about that and I checked that out. Matter of fact, I talked to one prisoner who had a girlfriend who was also hearing voices, and mm-hmm. and th- those voices never spoke to one another. Interesting. You know, so the stayed... sharing of knowledge, the understand that the knowledge of where that person was to go to find those cannabis plants did not came... come from another person's mind. Somehow, it can't. It was like a. I, I don't that's know where. Interesting. I don't we know where they know, got it. I guess. Yeah. yeah but... I don't know where they got it, but they got it. Yeah, interesting. You know, because it was it was several of them followed the directions of the voices, and there were the drugs. Wow. The same thing with with when they were stealing and robbing people, 
you know, the voices would tell them, you know, they wouldn't tell them exactly where the loot was, but they'd tell them the general area. Sure. And, and then they'd tell them where to hide when they're running away. Wow. You know, it, but yeah, if you look at it overall, it's it it's all aimed at their destruction. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, they can manipulate feelings without uh, without speaking. So you could be sitting there feeling okay, and all of a sudden this heavy feeling comes over you, and you start getting depressed for no reason you know of. They can do that. Um, they consistently steer their victim away from anything that might generate joy or pleasure or happiness. They don't want the person to be happy. At all costs, they will do anything to make that person miserable. So that's a different vibration that they don't like. They oh, they yeah. they enjoy the fear and the hatred and the all that. Instead. They're definitely very low vibration creatures. Interesting. Uh, they short circuit reason. You know, they uh, uh, a lot of times what they'll do is get the person confused and then hit them with a suggestion, just like they do in in uh, with hypnotism. Right. Uh, some some of them are really dumb. I mean, they, they there was one that would all it would do was say, "Hey, hey, hey," and and the guy was left wondering whether the voice was talking about "Hey, like the grass" or right. "Hey, like you." Hey, you. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, "Well, what? What does he mean?" And that's all it did. It just tormented him with that. That's interesting, um, because some of the voices are very powerful, have very large vocabulary, and uh, yeah, very sly. Right. So you. So maybe that is the, those more intelligent, uh, uh, more able, uh, powerful voices are higher on this hierarchy on the other side. Is there, do you think the lower ones don't have the power or just like, I don't know what I have horns, you know, try, you know, new. I, I'm not sure what I did notice is usually the, if the victim is intelligent, the voices appear to be intelligent also. I see. You so know, it's almost like using the victim's abilities. Well, I don't I don't know what's going on there. I just mm. that's a correlation that I noticed. Okay. You know, so and if you want to take a religious approach, you know, if you want to call these demons or archons, I mean there's all right. different levels and hierarchies and exactly. levels of intelligence among the demons and, and the archons too. So that could come into play too. That's why I that's why I thought to ask that question. Because uh like with the with the Goetia of like John D's Goetia, I mean, he mapped out this, this demon has this many legions of other demons below him that he commands under the power of, you know, his authority. And, you know, there's 72 of those. And, you know, and then there's the lower lesser ones. And I'm thinking maybe the one that says, hey, is just, you know, yeah, the, boot, the boot black of the better one, the, you know, the better demon or whatnot. You know. Yeah, there does seem to be a hierarchy. Right. You know, the, I, I had one uh, one person say that one of their voices were taken away because it wasn't doing as good a job at, at destroying them as it should have been. Wow. That was a female. And uh, that I found that interesting. And another one came that was meaner. Wow. Uh, there was so one it's time... almost like they're like there's some uh like they're doing a job they punch in okay you know boss says i'm here at this brain today like that's really yeah. interesting one goes yeah. the other one comes in that it's like they're assigned to destroy that person well, it's spiritual warfare they have their mission you know they're, they're really? trying to accomplish their, their objectives that is very interesting yeah and uh let me see what was that other case um there was one where he had two voices we got rid of both of those and and he was free for a while and then he wow. comes back and he goes, there's another one. I said, well, where'd that one come from? And he says, that's their supervisor. Oh, man. 
And that one, that one wasn't about to leave. He was pissed. Wow. I'd like to speak to your demon manager, please. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> Dial nine to, to access the other. Yeah. yeah. Can okay, you imagine? So... Okay. So please continue your list. This is very uh, informative and this will give us a base that we can use for understanding when we speak to Anon here and hear his uh, story. Yeah. So they, they try to pass themselves off as the thoughts of the victim. And a lot of times they sound just like all the thousands of thoughts that go through your mind on a normal day. Right. You know, there's no change in timber or, or in the sound of it. It's, right. it's in the intent of it. Yes. You know, it, the, the voice will suggest that you do something that you don't want to do, or isn't part of your personality or, right. or uh, something malicious or nasty or, or, you know, or, or just testing um mm -hmm. that's how you sift out the your voices from his the the others right because yeah. i mean you love yourself you would never hurt yourself that it, you know you you know your your true self is love and you know exactly uh, they they don't work from that they work from the other end of the spectrum right and it right so that's just pay attention to your thoughts right so so every important. negative thought about yourself or anybody else comes from them and you know w when you get a thought like that think about what what is its intent what is yeah. its intention you know it's not your intention to destroy yourself or to get yourself in trouble you know then whose yeah. intention is it when you get a thought like that it's not yours right. so where's it come from that's right yeah. uh they're very good at selective forgetting you know, so I'll give my patients a list. Okay, you you gotta you gotta do this, you know, to fight back. And they'll get them to lose the list. They'll get them to forget to do it. Um, they'll forget it, tell them to forget to do their exercises. You know, and and it's the it's a patient that has to fight back. Nobody can do that fighting for them. They have yeah. to do it. Yeah. You know, if they don't do it, these things are going to take them over. Yeah. Uh, they fill the victim with. You know, I would mention this one, negative thoughts about themselves and others. They'll do anything they can to destroy any sense of positive self-concept you have. Uh, they'll pull, pull the victim away from consensual reality into this strange reality of theirs. So that's where psychiatry goes, oh, well, they, they've broken from reality, you know, so they're no longer functioning in the consensual Psychotic reality. Psychotic break. Right. Psychotic break. Right. Yep. So that means the voice has got control. Huh. So then um, they just give up on trying to, they just put them in the corner with medication, tie them to the wall like a like yeah, or or they end up one in the cuckoo's nest. They or they end up in prison. That the prisons are the new state right. hospitals. Right. You know, a De lot facto. of these. Could, right. Yeah. Right. And it costs uh, cost you know a whole lot more money to keep them seventy thousand dollars on average per prisoner a year holy cow yeah. wow, <laughs> yeah. wow if they could just give that to the person they wouldn't need to rob anything <laughs> right. You know, or anyway. or if they put them into a you know a group home or something rather right. than, than that, you know. I so mean, the the whole thing is is it, prisons are are you know here's these guys that are psychotic in the first place. Then they're thrown in with a bunch of violent sociopaths. Right. They spend several years there. Their psychosis their psychosis gets even worse, more violent. They get more cold hearted, and then after you know their education there, oh your time's up dump you out on the street 
it's and almost like it's meant to be that way it almost seems that way i've seen <laughs> i've seen them release people i knew would kill somebody within six months yeah there's no doubt in my mind that guy was going to kill somebody yeah. oh his time's up he's he's served his depth of society and you think they got any rehabilitation there no that's a joke no and they're it, even it, letting it all them out for show they're nowadays they're letting them out before they serve their time yeah. because yeah. coronavirus so silly there was just in memphis uh in memphis the other day there was somebody shooting out of the window and they were released from jail they should have done three years they only did like a year or something anyway that just goes to prove your point so well okay i'm I'm done with my thing i'm gonna let's uh i'd like to let a a non-talk and i'll just kind of be jumping in there every once in a while because you know he's got his personal perspective and when he brings up a point you know that uh, is pertinent to all schizophrenics and not just his story. I, I'll, I'll kind of jump in there and kind of say, hey, this is this is wider spread than just one person. Wonderful. Okay. That's great. So I, I tend to remain silent when Jerry Jerry speaks because I'm remembering all the stuff he's saying. He's, he's right on. And uh, I have to give a credit to him as well because the fact that he saw, started to see repeatable patterns, I mean, that goes against his education, his teaching as, as a psychiatrist. And he had to kind of have an awakening and see, there's something going on here. And the fact he actually applied real science by, oh, there's a pattern here. Let's see if it's repeatable. Let's see if we change things, certain variables, something happened. That, that's what good science is about. And the interesting thing is nobody tells the counselor to, well, ask the patient what the voices are saying. Right. Jerry started doing that. He got in trouble for it. Right. And the way I see it, good science is it should be investigated. You investigate things. So I consider myself a recovered schizophrenic. I had it in my mid-20s uh and uh yeah they put me on some of those psychotropic medications that that jerry's talking about and all that i can say is that it's they're basically tranquilizers yeah the stuff is still going on in your head uh it just keeps you you appear calm from the outside but the patient or the target or the victim i will say is still dealing with the turmoil of the voices inside their head and on top of that those psychotropic drugs over time they rot the brain. They, they, they destroy it. So, Anand, you recovered on your own virtually. Has yes. any researcher ever contacted you to find out what you did to recover on your own? <laughs> of course no, not. Of course I, I think not. if you asked yeah. every schizophrenic who recovered on their own, if any researcher ever came to question them about what they did to recover on their own, no, no, <laughs> not one. Not a one. They make up this chemical imbalance bull crap to sell their drugs, and then they poison people with it. You know, and they go, oh, yeah, look, it it does calm them down. We can control entire populations with this stuff. Just like fluoride and all the rest. Yeah. Yeah. So um, just kind of going in in a little bit of my background, I mean, I just just really started interacting with Jerry about three or four months ago, to tell you the truth. I was never a patient of his, but I I, I saw some work he was doing, and I contacted him and said, hey, I, I, I am... I've been there, and what you're saying is, is pretty much right on there. And we've kind of started talking about some some of the things that I encountered, and what Jerry's encountered with his uh, years of experience uh, dealing with patients diagnosed with a schizophrenic disorder. So I came from a, a dysfunctional family. I mean, there was definitely trauma going on growing up uh, as a child in my teenage years. There was a uh, death, uh, drug abuse, narcissism, emotional abuse, some physical abuse. Uh, codependency, whole gamut of things. Okay, and there's another pattern right there. 
you know, the the, psychi the psychiatric mafia is going, oh, it's due to all this other genetic stuff, chemical. It's due to trauma. You know, right. every schizophrenic I've ever worked with has suffered horrendous trauma, just like Anand is talking about here. It's an overwhelming amount of trauma. That's a one-to-one -one correlation and between that and, and schizophrenia. A lot of those traumas are traumas that they put on the whole society, too. I mean, they, uh, you know, they encourage the uh, domestic violence. They encourage the fathers to not be uh, in the home. Uh, they've been destroying the family for many years I mean, since after World War II. Uh, you know, the, the nuclear family, has, it's, it was eroded down to 2.3. And then they got rid of dad and then like, you know, mom is at work, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So like, yeah. and all the, every, every one of these kids is like, uh, you know, not abused as much uh, like it's a scale, but everybody that that's in the society has had to deal with like parents divorce and, you know, they try to drug them at school and, you yeah, know, not, there's not levels. Money. Yeah. And yeah, that too. And yeah, the both, slavery both of money. Work. Right. Yep. Right. Yep. And, and then, then the you, schools come and take the kids and they teach them all this, you know, anyway. All this crap. And you look at these patterns and you look at what the mainstream media has been feeding us over the last two years. It's the same entity on a microscopic scale. Exactly. You know, there's a one to one correlation between these psychotic patterns that I just read you and what the mainstream media is broadcasting to us constantly. It's the same exactly. thing to, to a degree. I mean, I, I mean, I'm more from the conservative side of the argument on this. I mean, yeah, mainstream media has their narrative. But the uh, the stuff you see on YouTube and other everywhere else, they have narr their narrative too, and it's tough because you got to sort through figure what is what 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 is true. Is mainstream media telling me a true narrative, or is that stuff going on on the other uh, news websites telling me the the correct narrative? There are conspiracy theories out there, but not everything's a conspiracy theory. But it, it That's is true. tough to sort through. It is really tough but to sort through. If you look at like Jerry was saying, uh, sorting through your own thoughts to see what is the intent, and if you look at the you know the uh if you look at the fruits of the tree that's growing you know then you know their their true will you know yeah, and if you look at cnn or whatever you see what they're doing and you look at alex jones and you see what he's doing and there are different ends but they're still doing the same thing right you know and uh so if you if you can like find a, a true-hearted person that's doing it without getting paid you know like uh then you might you might find but still question everything of course and use logic and reason and critical it, thinking skills you got to use your critical exactly. thinking skills totally 100 percent. that's very important so yeah i came from environment trauma i mean there was i was surrounded by drugs growing up seven eight nine years old i was around cocaine uh hash marijuana various pills speed probably some methamphetamines i'm saying that correctly methamphetamine methamphetamines but uh i didn't partake of it uh or i tried to resist it i mean it was around me I, I kind of valued my mind for future use, and I saw kind of what was doing some of the grown-ups around me. I mean, I was offered a drug dealership several times in high school, and I kind of said no to it because I, I wanted a future, and uh, I felt like education would be my way out. So I was trying to get out of this, this dysfunctional situation I was growing up with, um, and you don't realize how bad it really was until you're out of it, and then you look back at it, and you're like, oh, my gosh, that, that's not a normal life. That's not something a kid should be going through. So I was fortunate enough to be able to go to um, college. My, my dad passed away and we had some life insurance money. So we were able to pay for, for a college education. So I went for a degree in mechanical engineering. And 
I took classes on general psychology, comparative psychology, and abnormal psychology. So I was aware of some of these diagnoses of schizophrenia and uh, what they call the DSM, the what is it? The diagnosis statistical manual. Statistical yeah. Manual. yeah. yeah manual. So I, I was aware of all this stuff, but then I got out of college and I guess, I guess weird stuff started happening. I mean, I'm just hitting the tip of the iceberg, but it's almost like I was, I finally had time in my life to kind of go inward and see who I was, explore who I was inside as a person. I, I never got a chance to do that growing up because I was always trying to take care of other people or, or, take, or keep, keep the family going, that sort of thing. And I started to, to read the Bible on my own. I just I always wanted to read it on my own just to see what, what it said without the middleman. I mean, I, went, I was baptized Greek Orthodox. I went to a Methodist Sunday school, and I was in a Catholic youth group during high school, even though I wasn't Catholic, but, they, but they're, they're very open. But that was kind of you know, the Orthodox view. I wanted to just kind of read the Bible on, on my own a little bit and just try to determine what direction I was going to go in life. And that's what I started to get a kind of very depressed, like, like something was telling me I was like a failure in life to, to give it up, that, that, that you're, you're worthless. And it's interesting how Jerry mentioned some of these entities are anti-religious because all these things start happening when I start kind of reading the Bible intensely on, on my own because I never did that before. That's interesting. Did you, did you think instinctively to blame the Bible for making you feel that way? No, no. Um, it's good. I don't know if, if I was reading the Bible and, and certain things were opening up because I was. Um, I wasn't into occult stuff or anything like that growing up as a kid. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't even know what a cult was, to Ooh. tell you the truth. Right. I hear that. And, and reading the Bible, I just want to say reading the Bible on your own is probably the best way to do so. That's from what I've learned over the years. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, we can, we can all interpret things differently out of the Bible. I mean, a lot of it's literal, a lot of it's figurative and people interpret it differently. What's figurative and what's literal. And we have, we have to be tolerant. There's our different, pers different perspectives on it. So I started to kind of just, I, I would say I was starting to crash mentally where I was getting very depressed, like something was telling me I was worthless. Uh, nobody would like me. Um, I would never succeed in life. Give it up. I was kind of like considering which, what, what, what path to, to, to go in life a, a little bit. And all the suppressed trauma as a child and as a teenager was, was waking up too. So all these emotions that had been shut down, suppressed, were starting to wake up. So everything was happening at once. Um, I would say I definitely had a psychotic break, what actually occurred. So I started to get very depressed. I, I mean, I reached the point where I was only seeing black and white. Food lost all taste. Wow. Um, I probably lost not, close to 90 to 100 pounds. I mean, I just I wasn't eating. I, I felt like I wasn't even worth, worth, worth to eat. And there's a lot of stuff going on at the time in my head. Um, a lot of anger, I think, was coming out or something was making anger come out. So I, they put me on lithium for about a month or two. And I got to, I, I couldn't even think, I mean, I couldn't remember what, what, what pills I'd taken. I could not even add two plus two. I mean, my mind was so wow. overwhelmed. Because of the these, lithium or because of I the think depression? It was, I think it was, I think it was coming to the depression and whatever else was going on in, in my head. So that's the thing. DSM classifies things like bipolar, depression, schizophrenia, all different things. That's not really what's going on. You're, when somebody's going through these forms of psychosis, you've got a little bit of everything going on, I, I would say, or, or aspects from, from different things. DSM is just used as a manual to be able to put that on insurance code for, for, health, for health insurance reasons, or just, or, or those, it categorizes it, but I don't think it categorizes it properly. It's all made up. There is not a single test for any 
exist anywhere. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So I was reaching the point that, that I wasn't sleeping. I mean, there's at times I felt like something was almost taking over my body or my personality. I mean, I, I come from a scientific background. I have an engineering degree, so a very logical mind. But I'd have to say there was a possession or an attempted possession going on. And of course, that goes against the very instincts of what I was taught in, in college as far as the psychiatric courses that I took. So to deal with what was starting to happen, I, I kind of understand the split mind where part of me was the participant who was dealing with all this stuff. The other part of me was the observer watching what was going on, almost from a scientific curiosity, taking notes, observing the, the different effects. So these very strong thoughts were starting, telling me I had failed in life, I was worthless, give it up, you know, kill yourself, all, all sorts of things. I think I reached a point where I, I wasn't even sleeping anymore. I mean, I, I don't remember. I think I went a whole week there of not sleeping. And finally what happened, I think my, my body just started moving on its own. I wasn't controlling it, thrashing back and forth. And I think my family bought me, brought me to the emergency room that night. They, they, they said there's nothing they could do. It's, it's psychological. So I was admitted to a psychiatric ward, a mental hospital. And I was in there for about four weeks. This was in September of 1990. I guess I, I crashed so hard. And I was given the diagnosis of having affective schizophrenic disorder. Now, I remember that they would give me all these different pills and drugs. Like they gave me a little, little paper cup. Take this one. That one didn't work. Take that one. Try this one. Try that one. Nothing worked. And I heard all the stuff Jerry's talking about. Oh, it's chemical imbalance. Oh, it's genetics. And I remember when they said, oh, it's a chemical imbalance. I asked them, well, what's the chemical baseline supposed to be? You know, I, right. took chemistry in, I took chemistry in college. And like, you know, when you have a, a swimming pool, you monitor the pH. You know where that acid or alkali level should be. So if the brain is off balance, well, what's the baseline? They just look at you and go, uh, <laughs> they didn't have an answer for it. Let's put it that way. I, I think I kind of stumped them with that one. Because it's all made right. up. Right. There, Critical no thinking chemical. doesn't work with those guys. There's no point of reference to say, okay, what is the normal chemical balance supposed to be? So they give you all these different drugs. You're like a guinea pig because they don't know what, what, what's going to work or snap you out of it. And, and, and some of the side effects, I mean, if I was on it for a very short term period, thank goodness, when I was in, in the hospital. But I remember sometimes it was super dry mouth. Uh, there's a couple of days I probably don't even remember. I remember sometimes I would be looking straight ahead. I would turn my head. And it would take a while for the scene to catch up, like like it would shift, go in certain shift phases until it, until it caught up. I mean, I, I hated being being on those, those medications. Wow. And nothing was snapping me out of it. But I remember for about 48 hours there, I reached a point where I was hearing voices. And it was external of me, I would say. It sounded like men's, women's, and children's voices. It was like a cacophony. So a good way to describe it is if you're ever like in a movie theater or, or you're at a play and just before the show starts, everybody's having their conversations on their cell phone or talking to, to their spouse or their kids, or their family. That's what it was like. I was hearing all these different voices and conversations that were going on. These now, conversations were not interacting with your consciousness. They were just well, happening they around you. They, they could have been. I was taking the push to ignore them. So I wasn't taking the perspective that they were talking to me. They might have been talking to me. They might have been talking about me. They might have been trying to get in or, or break in. But I, I, I kind of chose to treat it at that point in time, at least that, oh, I haven't been sleeping. This is just like, like, like that dream state. 
Um, you know, sometimes you're about to fall asleep, and sometimes you might hear like a voice just before you fall asleep. Like you, your mind, like, ever had that happen? I, I guess not. I don't know. I haven't. No, I haven't had that happen. It's it's kind of when you're in an intermediate state between waking up and falling asleep, and uh, it's like this was going on per perpetually for about forty eight hours. Wow. So I was approaching week four of being in the, in the in the psychiatric hospital, and I mean, part of it is like being in hell. I mean, just you're you're not in your own control. Somebody else is telling you what to do. They're, they're playing God for you. They're thinking for you. They're telling you what to do. Um, but there were some good people in there as well that were, that were trying to help me out. And some of the nurse, nurses were genuinely compassionate to a degree. And as far as you know, you're assigned to, I guess, a psychiatrist. I think I see him maybe for 20 minutes a week or 20 minutes every other day. It, it, it just wasn't anything that sufficient. But I remember they kept asking what my, what my name was all the time. And I was getting a little frustrated because I was like, okay, they have my file, they have my notes there. Why are they forgetting my name all the time? Why do they keep asking what my name was? And I realized they weren't doing it because they didn't realize what, what my name was. They were doing it to make sure that I knew who I was. So I think they're making sure that I wasn't having some sort of dissociative disorder or, or anything like that. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's, a, there's, a, there's some horror stories I could say of what I saw and what occurred in there, but it, it wasn't was not a pleasurable experience I'll, I'll say that much it's not oh, a place you, you want to you, stay it was it was hell in that you didn't have a control over yourself or your environment yeah you didn't have a control over your own mind and this is this sounds like a hell to me especially so, after what you you know you grew up with abuse and and trauma uh and then it's just continuing more it's not going to heal you at all it's just more abuse oh it's, it's adding on to it i mean i think uh, Probably the best thing that could help me was a little bit of compassion. And that's what some of the nurses showed sometimes. And, and that was helpful. I feel like some of the doctors were experimenting, almost like playing anger management on me a little bit too. Like, like, like literally trying to get me angry or something like that to, to upset me. And uh, really? that's one thing about... What did they the, say this, to you? What did they... Well, I remember that we had this one psychiatrist where I was assigned. And some of the other patients were complaining about him as well. But I think his approach was to try and, I guess, aggravate the patient to, he was very demeaning and it, it kind of made you feel insignificant. Do you think and that was for his own ego because he's just a bad person? It may have been, or it may have been a particular approach he was taking um, because probably he was, he was trying to get the patients to fight back a little bit, but, but you're afraid to because of the state that you're in. It, it was tough to tell, but it, it was not helpful. I will say that much can't imagine that could be helpful yeah i mean you're you're not serious. you you really were i think compassion was the best thing just somebody treating like a human being i, I think is the best best way to that's to really what will heal about. everybody's problems i think for a little other, bit more compassion yeah, in the world that's right? right that's right so i was putting the final week none, none of the med meds were working my health insurance is about to run out uh if something could snap me out of it i was probably going to end up in a, in a state psychiatric uh, institution so they decided to resort to ECT, electroconvulsive therapy. Now, I will have to say this, it actually helped me. So what it was is, it's almost like, it wasn't like what you saw in the 1950s, 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. It actually progressed a little bit better. So By the 90s, you weren't breaking your bones because- I wasn't of, breaking bones. No, right. they, they, give you, they give you a muscle relaxant 
and then they kind of knock you out. It's almost like going to surgery, give you an anesthesia. And the muscle relaxing is so that you don't break your bones, you don't rip tendons during any convulsions that you may go through while they run that jolt of electricity through, through your brain. Sounds so violent. I mean, but but they have, they have to breathe for you too. They have to put a respirator on you. Because, the, because it depresses your system so much that your lungs don't even work. Exactly. The muscle relaxes are that strong, you can't breathe on your own. Now, after the very, and they told me that I might have some short-term memory loss um, after, after going through it, but the, the, there was nothing, the pills weren't working. Nothing was working to snap me out of where I was. But after the very first treatment, I felt better. Um, if you remember the old vinyl records, you know when a needle got stuck in the groove of a record? just would keep playing the same groove over and over again. I felt like the ECT had lifted the needle and put it in the next groove so, so that the record could continue playing. Really? Um, so I, did you resume normal function of your brain and your well, thoughts? Well, I felt I, I, those very strong thoughts or voices had gone. I mean, there was almost like quietness in my mind. I felt like more as like myself, like my, my personality was coming back. I had a glimmer of hope again. I felt like, okay, I can rebuild myself from here. That usually uh, doesn't last, though. The uh, the voices don't usually stay away with with ECT. They go away for a few days and then come back. I don't know if that was your case or not, but that's a general. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, they, the voices they do come back, probably even stronger with a vengeance. I would say too. When they get when they're with a vengeance, they're angry that they were sent away. Well, I'll, I'll get into that uh, as we go on. <laughs> they don't like being electrocuted. So. I told the, them that I felt like I felt better. I, I, I don't, I said, I, I can start rebuilding myself. They said, no, no, you need five more treatments. So, so they gave me five more ECT sessions. It was every other day for about a period of uh, two weeks. So I had a total of six ECTs. And one of the times was rather scary because I think they couldn't find an anesthesiologist. So they had to call one off the field. And I guess he was out playing his golf game. And he wasn't paying attention. He was flirting with the nurses, bragging wow. about his golf score that he just got. And they gave that guy. Oh, they gave you the muscle relaxant before they had the respirator on. And I'm there gasping because I couldn't breathe. And the nurses come pointed to the guy and said, you know, like pay attention to what you're doing. I remember the guy jumped and grabbed the respirator and put it on me and got me breathing again. And then the anesthesia kicked in and then I was out. But that 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 was scary. Again, you're out of control. You know, you're not you're not in control of yourself. you're depending on these other people kind of a taking care of you and these people don't care for you they don't care about you uh, so some do some don't i mean uh, obviously I would not that doctor didn't yeah yeah i would not generalize all, all of them i mean look 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 in jerry's case I mean, he was generally trying to see what he do to right. help, help those patients right jerry had care enough to ask them what the voices were saying <laughs> jerry's one of a million yeah definitely so uh i was released from the mental hospital I was assigned a, psychi a psychologist and a psychiatrist. One was prescribing me drugs. The other one was uh, dealing with counseling. And I, I hated being on, on the drugs. I mean, they put me on clonopin at the time, kind of a low dosage of clonopin, which I was, I was told at the time was a mood stabilizer. Now, I was dealing with counseling, but I was focusing on some codependence issues I had with my mo mother. But there was so much else going on. I think the reason I recovered from it is because I didn't tell my counselor, psychiatrist, what was going on because I was working with it on my own. But after I got out, I started to go through these kind of, like, I, would, I would call them trials or tribulations or, or, or attacks. And 
they're very strong thoughts and they're like coming out through my own thoughts. It was almost like a battle between, I guess, the angel and the devil on, on each shoulder in a sense. But one of these thoughts kept offering me mammon, like a path to instantaneous wealth, power and riches and fame if I sold my soul or gave up my quest. And these tormentors, they're trying to make a deal with me. Like, and, and they showed me the path how to do it. I mean, it was from a business model. I would have had to sell my soul to them in a sense, but I would have had instantaneous riches, wealth, power, fame within a few years. Wow. And, you know, I, I, I had a little bit of religious background, not, not in the dogmatic sense, but just in the idea that there is something more than just the material realm that we live in. And, you know, I, I remember reading the stories of Jesus Christ 40 days in the desert and you know being tempted by the, the prince of this world and that sort of thing and being offered all this stuff and turning it down. And here I am going through such a similar type of pattern. I'm thinking to myself, man, I must really be nuts. I, I, I'm definitely mad. I mean, you know, Jesus went through this stuff and who's going to believe me that, that, that I'm encountering this type of same sort of energies or entities as you want to call them. I believe it. So I was in an extremely broken state uh, mentally. I was unemployed. I, I was below poverty level that year. Now, I had some credit cards, so I was basically paying for my bills with cash advances on my credit cards. Um, that was paying for food. That was paying for my health insurance, any of the medicines that I needed. But I, you know, I'm, I'm just trying to get my life established and get back on my feet. So I, I, I said no to that Faustian bargain that they were offering me. Um, it was tempting, but I just felt like there was a reason they were offering for me, that for me. I felt like if I said no to it, there'd be a, a better future for, for myself and hopefully all, all of humanity. So that attack backed off, and then the next stages occurred. This is probably now approaching, I'd say, well, maybe winter of 1991. So it was at this point that these very strong thoughts, they, they would make me feel extreme guilt and shame almost the verge of trying to make me end my existence. They're pointing out all the crimes in life I committed, however minor they were. And I, I was a pretty good kid growing up. I wasn't a major troublemaker or anything like that. So I think they had very little to go on. So I think they were, they were a little frustrated. But they would list every morsel of meat that I ever ate, every fly, ant, or worm that I ever killed, every flaw in my character. Um, one thing in particular, I used to do some fishing as a kid. You know, you've got to catch some trout, some bass, some sunnies, and I'd hook, hook the earthworm to, to the hook to uh, bait the fish. Well, these thoughts started making me feel so guilty. I mean, they were telling me things like, see, you really are a horrible human being. You, you kill earthworms. You know, what type of being would do that? You're, you're worthless. You, you, and it would make me feel so guilty for, for, for doing that. And that's the kind of stuff they say to all schizophrenics it's almost like they're made from the same cookie cutter they got the same you know rotten stuff that they throw at everybody it's it, the schizophrenics in you know 2500 miles away in georgia are being told the same things as the schizophrenics here in arizona it's it's like they're all made from the same cookie cutter it's really weird weird that way they always have, do they always bring up moral issues that yep. you've done that's always a moral guilt that, they'll, um, they'll use anything they can to to up, get your emotions turned negative you know and and it, there's there's no you can't trust anything they say it's constant lies it's constant badgering anything that will upset you they'll hit you with you know and they can get into your memory so they can they're pull chastising you is what they're doing they're chastising you 
So yeah, they use your memories against you and sometimes they'll distort your memories too. They'll try and uh, blame you for things that you really did not commit or, or do. I had one guy where they told him he murdered somebody and he didn't know whether he did or not. So, you know, he, he, he well, should I turn myself into the police? And if I do that, I'm going to go to prison. If I, if I talk to anybody about this and if I did do it, I'm going to go to prison. So they had him in a catch 22, you know, um, stuff like that where where it's a it's constant misery you know and that that agony of like not knowing what to do and, right you know it just drags out that yeah. uh trauma that they can feed on yep you lose your sense of trust in your reality is what's happening and that's scary so do they um, uh, do they try to put you in a solipsistic state where your perceptions are the only thing that's real? Uh, is, do they try to lead you into that type of state as well? Oh yeah, yeah. They'll try to convince you that what they're telling you is very real, you know. And and they're good at it. I mean, you know, there's some of them you talk to that you you almost believe them. Well, there's times I felt like they were actually acting out of other people around me, like especially when I was in the psychiatric hospital. I'm just weird things were coming out of other people's mouth and it was almost like it came off as being almost psychotic from them like out of the blue sort of thing and i don't know if they truly are going into other people and acting that way to, to get you ticked off or if it's just that your perception of reality is thrown off and you think it's happening so it, it leaves you kind of a state of confusion you, you don't trust reality you don't trust what's going on it's, it's very tough to find your bearing so the, the, this very strong thought or attack or tribulation was, you know, trying to make you feel guilty for, for, for eating the meat of other animals. I mean, it, it's something that I, I still deal with this to, to this day to some degree, but uh, I would defend myself. Me too, actually. I, yeah. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, would defend I, I try not to, I don't nowadays, but I mean, you know, it is, it's immoral and we know it is internally. That's why the voices can use that against us, you know, because, um, you know, because we continue to like a lot of people like meat eaters don't look at it that way. They don't see on the plate that it is the suffering of another being. They just see it as food, you know, but deep inside, you know, like your, your true self knows what is happening. And so that's, that's a why whole metaphysical discussion that we can spend hours on. Uh, yeah. Oh, well, I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to parse out what's right and wrong, but I just want to say that your in your internal, uh, you know, your, uh, your consciousness or your conscience knows the difference and why that's why they're using it against you because deep down inside you know that it is it's, it's bothering us it's, it's an ethical issue yeah that's why they can use it like the earthworm like because it's a moral thing and nobody wants to be immoral you know it's a it's just innate humans don't want to be that way and that um and then they they say oh look how evil you are you're just like us like you know um and it's i'm sorry but it's interesting the faustian bargain i didn't say anything earlier but uh that is you say you didn't ever uh learn about occultism but that is what happens in the occult when they uh that ritual ceremonial magic they contact non-corporeal entities and they're offered this and they have a bargain and they do the will of the of the of the being to receive benefits in their own uh you know life of you know earthly goods and uh and in a sense it like jerry says it does lead to their own destruction you know all of the the vices and um 
and so on, it leads down a path of, of destruction. No matter, even if you feel good, you're still like falling farther away from your own will and your own control of your own life and that kind of thing. Yeah, there's white magic and there's black magic, the left-hand path or the right-hand path. That's right. In, in what you look at. And I just like, I've been reading more on the cold in the last few years, but I didn't know about any of this stuff years ago when, when I was going through this thing. So, you know, that, that ethics of eating the meat of other animals. So I, I these voices would attack me. I, I call them very strong thoughts because I, I wasn't sure if, if it was my own thoughts or something outside of me at the time. I kept going back and forth. You know, I, 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 was, I wasn't sure either way, but I took a religious stance against them. I would defend myself against the, these attacks. Uh, it was almost like a, a series of trials or tribulations that I was going through. But I would argue against them. I would say, look, God created me with teeth, tongue, and mouth. Do, do I not have a right to use them? Why is meat made to taste flavorful? provides the most amount of proteanic energy per volume. Why does God encourage other animals to kill and eat other animals for sustenance? I said, take your arguments to God, not to me. And uh, so they would continue kind of attacking me, but they would back off after a little while, but they would still kind of leave me, leave me in a little bit of a, a broken state and just feeling a bit like a, like a horrible human being, like I wasn't worthy of, of life. So, then the next tribulation would occur. Uh, the next prosecutor would, would come on. Now, I don't know if it was all the same entity or if it was, it was different entities. I, I really can't conclude that either way, but I felt like the words that they used and the nature of their comments were different. So it could be subsets of, of the same common entity. It's, it's really tough to conclude 100%. Did they call themselves prosecutor? No, no. Okay. That, that, that's sounds, that's like. interesting. Like you're on trial. That's they were they were trying to make it out like it was my own thoughts doing it. To tell you the truth, they right. don't want to. They don't want to give me any hint that they weren't. So the next uh, attack, it it kept telling me how worthless and pathetic humanity and I are. It said that we're insignificant lumps of flesh destined to rotting, be eaten by bacteria and worms. And I counter argued. I said. We were created that way by the divine hand. We didn't decide the composition of our flesh, blood, and bones. It was granted or forced upon us. Our bodies are not necessarily our design. It, it's, it's, it's the way we come into this world. So I said in defense of this prosecutor, I said, how can you condemn our form when we had no say or control over its creation? I said, take your arguments to God, for that's where you'll find the answers. Don't badger me with, with that one. And it was interesting because this stance, it backed off right away. That's, that, that went on for maybe just, great. Just, just, just a week or two. And I realized, wow, it knew that my stance was strong there. It, it couldn't get me on that one. So then like a, another tri tribulation or trial would occur. And like I said, these could have been different demons. These could be different archons. It, it depends how, how you want to describe it from a religious or metaphysical standpoint. But part of what I was going through, it wasn't like I was just like fighting for my own soul or, or, or defending myself. I felt like I was acting as a liaison or a representative or an advocate for all of humanity. Because the next attack kept trying to convince how me and how I and humanity did not deserve to exist. Um, it was as if something had entered my mind and was judging all of humanity based on my experiences. It was using my memories as evidence to try and prove humanity's guilt. I mean, there was times I was actually seeing like cinematographic or like movie-like scenes going before my eyes of things that other people had done to me, uh, war scenes, scenes of skirmishes throughout human history. It was, it's like I was becoming a star witness. 
it was seeing the history of humanity and our species derelict and dysfunctional behavior through my eyes. It would, it would replace something from my memory and then say, see, humanity is an abomination. They will never evolve. How can you defend them? And this inquisitor basically kept saying that humanity was a worthless and ignorant creation. And you know, at times I was starting to believe it too, but I said, I said, wait a second. I took on the defensive judgment with them as well. I said, yes, there are some humans that are evil, wicked, ignorant, full of hatred. They've been encountered throughout history, but there are others that are good, compassionate, kind, and full of love. And I put forth my defenses. You don't condemn an entire species, religion, or culture as being entirely imperfect based on the actions of a few. So then I would go on to the, the next stage of, of these attacks and tribulations. Now we're approaching probably late spring of 1991. And uh, you know, I felt like I was exposed to some, some divine knowledge and it's something I'm still kind of trying to sort out, but it, it, it was terrifying. I mean, it was, it was something that I did not feel that I would not trust myself as a human being having access to this type of power and knowledge. It scared me. So I tried to kind of push it away. I kind of said to him, look, I'm, I don't trust myself with this stuff. I, I, don't, I don't want to know this stuff now. But it would say things like, why even bother trying to guide humanity with knowledge being given to you? They won't listen. They will never change. They only laugh and mock at you. They'll be a failure from the start. And they're also saying, have I ever told anybody about any of these things that are occurring in my head that I would be locked up in a psychiatric institution the rest of my life? And that's that common. That that's I'd common. Be drugged. They, they, they don't want you talking to anybody about what they say. So it's like, who do I go to? Do I go to a, a clergy? Do I, do I go to a, you know, do I tell my, my counselor at the time? So I wasn't telling my counselor all the stuff I was going through here. I mean, I'm telling you now because it, it's 30 years later and I, I, I'm healed enough that, and established enough that it's not a problem to, to share those experiences. Thank you. And it kept asking me, you know, why do you choose to be a fool? You know, tr tr trying to uh, teach or guide humanity or, or wake them up. And I said, for the love of humanity. I said, I choose to be the fool because it's my choice. And uh, this is a tough one because as you know, it, it's very difficult to wake people up to a greater truth or reality. It's like the allegory of Plato's cave. People don't want to know the truth sometimes. It's more comfortable to go back and break back into the hiding because the, the truth is scary. Right. But, it, it, but it also allows you to go to a higher epiphanic level, I guess I, I would say. You have to, your old self almost has to die away to come to terms with, with, the, with the newer reality. But the newer reality oftentimes is the greater and the truer reality. So I was exhausted from all these attacks and internal tribulations or trials that I was going through. Because part of me is feeling, okay, there's legitimacy to this. I'm having some divine or spiritual experiences. The other part of me is saying, I'm mad, I'm a lunatic. This is crazy. This is nuts. So the final attack of tribulation kept trying to remove any form of faith that I had. It was trying to destroy any type of religious grounding that I had. It was trying to destroy my belief in God or a higher consciousness or, or, or a higher being. Do you think that's because that was your basis for all the other arguments? Because you were able to fend off all the other ones with your faith in God and the creator? It was the whole baseline of what, how I was able to defend against them. Absolutely, yes. And uh, I mean, they, they were trying to convince me to commit suicide many times to kill myself. 
I mean, and, and and the suicide rate for schizophrenics is three to five times higher than the general population, but so is it for psychiatrists. I mean, they would tell you I was worthless. That that you have no point to to live. You you have no value to offer this world. Give it up. And there were times I actually got the pipes together in my garage. I was hooking up the duct tape and to, to the tailpipe of, of my car. And uh, I had some younger nieces in my family, and I had a little compassion left in me. And I, and I realized if I did that, it would give them a permission slip to do the same thing if they face some traumatic experiences in life. So I did not want to do that to them. So they, in a sense, they saved my God life. God bless you. God bless you. And uh, some of these very strong thoughts or hallucinations would come in very dramatic ways to kill myself. I mean, one of the, they kept telling me to climb an electrical high tension, high voltage tower and jump off in, into the wires and electrocute yourself and hang yourself there. Like, like they were going for drama. They, they kept pushing that one on me constantly, constantly. So I was exhausted from all, all these internal battles, these tribulations, these trials, what these voices were doing to me. I was dealing with having been diagnosed as having affected schizophrenic disorder. I'm thinking like, I have no future. You know, where, where can I go from here? I'm never going to find a job. I'm never going to get out of the dysfunctional situation among just, the family of my upbringing. That just adds to the further depression that they're le loading on top of you. And it just further spirals you down. Sure. It's a vicious cycle. It's a vicious cycle. I keep going down and down and down. And I, as I mentioned, I was at, I was at below poverty level at this point in time. I was unemployed. I was just no hope of a future. So I started praying to God. I said, God, you know, the, the most higher essence of God I could. I said, give me a sign. Give me a sign that you are there and give me a sign that this is an all delusional madness in my head. I need to know if there's something much more profound going on or if, I, or if this is just plain mental illness and I'm a mad person. So I prayed as intensely as I could for about two weeks. And the, these voices kept telling me that God doesn't exist. Give it up. Religion is a false delusion mockery. It's a fantasy that humanity clings on to. There's no and such thing as God. That's common too. That they, they say that often to a lot of schizophrenics. So I was praying for a sign. I, I needed proof if I was to go on continuing this world. I mean, I, like I, said, I, was at my, I was at my wit's end. I, I, I was at the end. And... I didn't care what the sign was. I mean, I didn't say what the sign had to be. If a priest had showed up at my door, I would have accepted that. You know, Jehovah Witnesses knocked rang my doorbell. I would have accepted that as a sign. Thing uh, they, didn't. A, they, they didn't, though. <laughs> if, if a Bible had arrived by mistake in the mail, I would accept that as a sign. But something very, very profound happened about two weeks of the most intense praying. So this is around autumn of 1991. And I, I'd say I had a hallucination, an, a, a visual hallucination or a vision or something actually materialized in my room one night. Okay, can you all see my, my slide? Can you hear my slideshow here? So I mentioned I've been praying for God to give me a sign that, that this is something that I needed to know. I needed to know if I was entirely mad or if there's something more profound going on in my mind. I didn't care what the sign was, but I just needed something solid to go on. So after about two weeks of the most intense praying, I woke up one night, probably about two or three o'clock in the morning or so, with the feeling that there was a presence in my room. 
it was a very powerful presence. I opened my eyes, I looked around, I couldn't see anything. I looked up and this square ceiling light fixture was there on my ceiling, but nothing was occurring. I just, I just felt like something's in the room with me. And then all of a sudden I start to see like this grayish silver smoke or fog starting to enter the room to the left of my ceiling light. Now it was about six inches to a foot below the ceiling. It wasn't actually on the ceiling, but it was actually crawling below it. And at first I thought it was an electrical fire, but I realized it's not occurring where the wires would be going into the light fixture. And I wasn't smelling smoke. I wasn't smelling like something was burning and the sheetrock wasn't browning or anything. So I, I realized, oh shoot, I'm having a hallucination. Here I was diagnosed with effective schizophrenic disorder about uh, a year earlier, and now I'm having a visual hallucination. And I'm thinking, okay, well, the curious scientist in me is, is saying, okay, well, let me see where this goes. I, I want to see what, what's going to happen here. So more and more of the smoke or fog is fill, filling the room. And it wasn't moving like smoke. It was moving like the way ink would move through water. It had kind of a very kind of weird surreal movement. I don't know if it was alive or sentient itself, but it didn't move took the way smoke would move. And then I started to see like this portal open up in the middle of the, this fog or cloud that's coming in. And the portal's getting bigger and bigger, and it was kind of oval and oblong. And I could see that the fog was pouring in from the inside circumference of this portal. And it's, it's very dark. I couldn't really see into it. Part of me is saying, you know, I should probably want to get out of my room. But the other part of me is saying, I want to see what's happening here. You know, it's, it's, it's the scientist in me. It's curiosity. So I'm looking in, I don't see anything. More and more of this fog or cloud is like filling up my room. There's this lob, long oblong portal. It's pitch black, I really couldn't see anything in it. And all of a sudden, whoosh. I see these two snake-like or serpentine tails move from bottom to top in the portal. And I'm like, whoa. Okay, what the heck is going on here? Two tail, two two snakes. That's what you see through in the middle of this uh, vesica Pisces of a of a portal. That's and I'm thinking to myself, okay, is this some subconscious fear that I have of snakes or something like that? Try try to introduce itself, but I'm like, no. I, I grew up around frogs and turtles. I held snakes plenty of times in my life. I, my my college roommate had a pet boa constrictor, and I used to hold it, so it wasn't like I had a fear of snakes. But I'm like, okay, this is weird. So I'm thinking, well, at least it's on the other side of that portal. It's, it's not in my room or anything like that. That's well, reassuring. <laughs> I spoke too soon on that one. <laughs> so more and more of this fog comes into the room. And all of a sudden, I see the serpentine movements within the fog or cloud itself, like, like coming in and out of, of, of this, this cloud. And I'm like, oh, great. This thing's in my room. So I was, I was frightened. But I wasn't terrified at, at this point because I want to see where this goes. So the whole area filled up. It looked like almost like a cloud, a silverish grayish cloud, maybe some black wisps in, in it as well. I reached a point where I couldn't really see the portal anymore. It was obscured, almost like the way the full moon becomes obscured behind some clouds. And all of a sudden, 
this creature comes out of the cloud and goes across my field of vision from left to right. Now from the side, it looked almost like dog or lion-like, had a kind of a mammalian face and a serpentine body. This is 100% of what it looked like. I remember this very distinctly. Because wow. part, part of me started laughing to myself. I'm like, great. I'm having a visual hallucination. And this is what my mind decides to come up with. A snake with like a dog line like like face on it. This, I mean, I recognize this from Alistair Crowley's tarot deck. <laughs> and this is, uh, so anyway, I mean, is it, uh, does it have a name? Uh, well, later on in my research, years later, I'll, I'll definitely get more into that. Very interesting. You, 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 you're on cue there. I'll, I'll say that much. But it appeared to have almost two spines, two sets of vertebrae, and like the tails were kind of adjacent to each other. And over the last, I've been writing a book on religious experiences from this. And during my research, I came across this amulet. That's it. Yep. That's yep. from Thel the Thelema. This is the uh, what I was talking about. That's on the tarot deck. Now, huh. this this is actually, this amulet itself, I think, is probably from, oh, I know, first, second, or third, or fourth century. But it actually goes back even farther what it's referencing. It's actually an Egyptian god called Chanubis. Which is spelled C H O U N. Oh, I'm spelling it right, right? I B I S. Four thousand years old. Yeah, C H N O U B I S. So this thing's almost four thousand years old, but it's also known as Abraxas. It's also known as Yaldabaoth. It's also known as the Demiurge. For those wow. that understand Gnosticism. Now, I didn't know anything about Gnosticism as it had in this experience. As I mentioned, I came from a Greek Orthodox background. I went to a Methodist Sunday school. I was in a Catholic youth group. They don't talk about this stuff in, in, in Sunday school. So but it's it looks, not from your imagination of, or not from your memory. You don't have this image in your head already that just bubbled out from your I researched, Great this, question. You researched after, right? I researched after. Great question. Because I was curious if it was like in some of my abnormal psychology textbooks in college. And I pulled them out and there was nothing listed. Um, the only thing, and I looked, Carl Jung talks about this stuff too a little bit. And keep in mind, this is like 1990, 1991. There's no internet back then. This is pre-internet day, internet days. So this thing comes in farther into my room. And then I see it face on. It looked almost like a, a mangy cat or a beat up lion. Wow. I remember I could see like, I could see stubble on its face, broken whiskers. It looked kind of banged up like it'd been in a few, few fights, like, like a mangy cat that's been in some cat fights. And I, I, what I recall, its left eye looked like it was scratched or might have been scratched or blind in its left eye. Wow. I mean, it, it, was, it had one eye. It's... It looked like, yeah, it looked like one eye had been scratched out, like it was blind in one eye. It's, it's such a cult significance to that. Yeah, please continue. And okay, at this point, I'm seeing, I'm seeing, wow, this thing's like a lion with a snake body. I'm thinking, what else is going to come out of that cloud? Uh, a duck and a turtle's body? I mean, I, I didn't trust myself. I was like, okay, this, this is, this is nuts. So I was a little frightened, but I wasn't completely terrified yet because it, it didn't look, it didn't really look menacing at this point in time. But then all of a sudden, as the face is coming towards me, it changes. It changes into the most horrible possible thing you could think of. It, be, it was very grayish, wrinkled, and prune-like. It almost looked like an old man or an old hag of decay. Um, it almost it opened its mouth like a howling, screaming expression. 
like it was coming to destroy me. So this thing did a shape shifting at, during this this hallucination, as, as I call it. So for an instant there, every cell in my body was on its highest alert of terror and horror and frightening. I thought this was the end of my existence. I really did. I thought I was going to die because, I, like I said, I didn't know if this was a hallucination, a vision, or if this entity really was in my room. So I did something very different. Um, I don't know if it was my own decision or there was a higher thought put in my head. But I had the instinct to, I let go of my ego and I, I projected love onto it. That was the only thing I, I, I could possibly do because it was too powerful. I knew fighting it would have been pointless. This thing was way more powerful than I. So I figured if it was coming to destroy me, let it feel the sacrifice of my love upon it. So I just projected love upon to it. Wow. So it's almost like it was sending a force. I felt like the force of pure evil coming from it, or that's what I was interpreting as. Maybe that was incorrect, but it was definitely tremendously powerful or, or of great awe. So I projected love onto it. Next thing I know, it seems to pulverize or disappear or wow. vanish. Wow. Now that's very interesting because schizophrenics who can project love onto the voices, they do the same thing. They run like scalded dogs, if you wow. can do it. So do you think that's why they uh, they feel that, that why Psalm 23 has like a certain level of the same vibration of this love that they yeah, that they, yeah. Okay. they they are very adverse to you know love or anything positive i mean uh religion positive spirituality that it, they don't like it it's poisonous for them but if you can project love onto them it's it's just like anon says they just run like scalded dogs they're gone you know, that is incredible they'll come back you got to change your entire vibration you know, wow. that, that's why a lot of times exorcism doesn't work. It, it may drive them away for a while, but if you don't change the way you think and get onto a positive spiritual path and stay there, they'll be back. Wow. So the, uh, so Anand, you just resonated on the opposite pole. He was on fear and you said love and that love is more powerful. It conquered it. I, you're right on there. So it disappears or pulverize. And I, I was shocked. I, I admit, I did not think I was going to survive this. I mean, I felt like this creature had actually materialized in my room. And I thought that was the end of my existence, that it was going to destroy me completely. And I'm lying there saying, I'm still here. And next thing I know, there's a different face hovering overhead. Now, it was a white porcelain-like mask-like face. It was sheer beauty. No, I can't. I'm not an artist, so I couldn't really portray the beauty in here. I mean, the, some people say, oh, that looks frightening, but it was it was androgynous. I but mean, I felt like it was a, of a feminine nature. But it was a type of beauty that I. I didn't think I was worthy to even look at it. Do you feel and like I, it's the same being transformed or something else? Possibly, possibly. Um, I'm going to just give you my observations and then, then uh, probably, there's several interpretations that I can go on after this. But I realized Please that this continue. Sorry, no problem. This white porcelain face it seemed illuminated, and there was fluttering going on. Now, it could have been, I do it kind of like wings, but I think there, there could have been wings in the front or just behind the face, like they have it drawn here. But there were like silver, there were like goldish yellowish wisps behind it, kind of moving back and forth. Um, I don't know if those wisps were 
strands or ropes that were being cut or released. I don't know if it was part of it, but it's almost like there was this, this white porcelain mask and there was like a being of consciousness behind it. And this being of consciousness, it, it looked kind of like the way you see the heat mirage. I mean, stuff was kind of, reality was changing or fluttering behind it. And there was some fluttering going on in the front of it. But I was really focused on, on this face. And I realized that I was aware of this, this, this face in my room, but it wasn't aware of me yet. So I'm just kind of waiting and I'm thinking, okay, that previous face, the lion-like dog-like face with the serpentine body that came in my room tried to scare the heck out of me. I'm wondering, what's this one gonna do? Because at this point, it was sheer beauty. I cannot describe how beautiful it was. And part of me felt like, I'm not worried really looking at this, I, I should look away. This is another other realm. I'm a human being. I shouldn't be seeing this stuff. So all of a sudden, it becomes aware of me. And I'm lying on my bed just looking up. And the, the fog and the cloud is starting to dissipate. But the portal's still there. And we're just staring at each other. And this fluttering is going on. And the fog dissipating. And I think we stared at each other. I don't know. It could have been anywhere from 15, 20, 30, 40 seconds. Of just staring at each other, but it felt like an eternity. And I didn't, I didn't know, I didn't know what was going to happen next. And then all of a sudden, the face smiles at me, and it was a beautiful smile of grace. I mean, I can see dimples forming in, in this white face as it smiled at me. And just as it smiled at me, all of a sudden, I feel this wave of love, joy, ecstasy. Um, erotica, bliss come from it. And it's almost like it was telling me that everything's going to be okay now. Um, you won. You, you, you're, 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 going to, you're going to be fine. And just as all this is happening, I started to have an out-of-body experience where I'm rising up out of my body and I'm starting to kind of merge with, with, with this creature, this entity. And I just remember, and I, I say erotic in the sense, not, not in the physical sexual sense, but in the erotic of uniting spiritually with another being, like we were merging together. And it was a feeling of joy, bliss, and ecstasy, undescribable. I've never had a sensation like that since, I'll, I'll say that much. So I'm rising out of my body, and I'm starting to merge with this beautiful white porcelain face, illuminated mask entity. And it's going in reverse back into that portal that entered my room. And just as I'm about to 100% merge with this beautiful entity and cross over the threshold into this gateway or portal together, all of a sudden, I fall back asleep. Now, I don't know if it was deliberately putting me to, back to sleep so that I could survive whatever was going to go on on the other side. Um, but I felt like I thought it was done, I felt it was done on purpose. Let's put it that way. Because it wasn't like, oh, I'm feeling tired. It's like, boom, I went out. And I remember everything kind of went, went, went dark and gray. And then I woke up the next morning about, oh, seven or, or 6 a.m. I was in a state of religious shock. I didn't know how to kind of process what had just happened. You know, was, 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 was that a demon? Was that an angel? You know, was it something good? Was it something bad? But what it did it told me that God is real, that the spiritual realms are real. I mean, here it is, I'm having these, these strong thoughts prior to telling me that God doesn't exist, that there's no such thing as a, 
religion or God or greater realities. And then I had this experience. And what it did is it negated everything that those voices had been saying. If you just apply logic to that. If you're something telling that God doesn't exist and you have a profound vision or hallucination like this. So it was at that point that I would say that the voices started to drastically subside. Um, I was able to heal myself as a human being. I was able to start rebuilding myself. Now, I didn't tell my counselor about any of this stuff. A good thing. Because they probably would have just prescribed my new drugs or harder drugs. Yep. Uh, and this, I didn't want to tell me it was just a hallucination because it was the only thing holding me together at that point in my life. It, it was giving me the point to rebuild myself. Give you like a faith. Give you your faith. It, it, it returned my faith to me. Yeah, definitely 100%. Um, now, I've never had another, another visual hallucination. Can't talk. I've never had another visual hallucination like that again since that experience. And that was probably when I was, oh, my mid 20s, 25, 26. It was about fall of 1991. So, you know, you take the approach that these entities were external to myself, that, that, that they're real, that original entity the snake like with serpentine face could have been the head archon himself yaldabaoth um the beautiful entity could have been what the gnostics call sophia could have been emanation of sophia it could have been a sephirot if you refer to the uh, tree of life from kabbalah could have been a benevolent angel it could have been my own damien in a good sense my, my higher self being rescued or saved but here's the thing, I had no knowledge of these terms until about the last three years. And like I come from, I guess, a general generic Christian path, I would say, and then to ha I've had this experience. So I've, I've definitely reading more up on Gnosticism and, and Carl Jung these days to kind of learn more about, about this stuff. But that visual hallucination, it, it, it saved me. It, it, it told me that what I was going through was more than just madness in my head. It truly said it was a spiritual battle and upon having that vision, I would say that's the point I crossed over being a mad person and becoming a mystic. Because it gave me the ability to deal with this stuff and, and, and not go mad, I, I guess you, you'd say. So to Jerry's points, with people that are doing schizophrenia or people that know people that have schizophrenia, it's a spiritual battle. Yes, they, it they, is. They have to treat these entities as real. They're external of themselves. Our College textbooks on psychology like to tell us, no, this is just a mental illness, you know, the, the brain imbalance. No, there's something more going on here. And I don't know if the best way is to interact with a good shaman, priest, and a psychiatrist. You know, you, you got to treat the, the human being as, as a spiritual being because this was a spiritual battle. And yes. upon having that visual hallucination, that, 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 that's when I won. That's when I knew it was over. Um, I've never, I haven't been on any type of psychotropic drugs since my mid-20s when I was just on the clonopin and what I encountered when I was in the, the mental hospital for four weeks. Um, there, there, there's times in my life I've had certain, I would say, audible hallucinations again, but that, 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 that's another story. But I, I'm, I'm very well established these days. I, I'm a mechanical engineer. I've been working in the field for years. Uh, I just paid off my mortgage last year, so I've been very fortunate to be able to do that. Yay. I have a wonderful family, a wife, a child, a dog. So there's hope for those given the diagnosis of schizophrenia. It's not a life sentence, but it does take work. It is a spiritual battle. Um, Jerry Marzinski's website offers some, some of the tools that, that, that are helpful 
for doing that. Uh, I think the reason what what allowed me to heal myself was, was partly not telling my counselor psychiatric staff that I was hearing voices, not and not, not, not trusting them, right? Not to, entirely trusting trusting the situation. I didn't want to be totally at the mercy. I'm not and not telling about that hallucination. Now, the first time I ever told anybody about these experiences was to my future wife in about 2004, 2005. And she, she's a practicing Catholic. And the ironic thing is she believed me about these experiences more than I did myself. Because I, I still continue to doubt myself. I, oh, I did continue to doubt myself a little bit. But after reading more and more, I realized, wow, these, these are what some of the Gnostics were, were, were talking about. This, yes. this, these experiences are what our ancestors went through and, and dealt with. And I have a very scientific mind. I'm a mechanical engineer. I deal with logic all the time. But logic goes out the window with, with, with what I went through. You've re really got to realize that there is something more to us than just the uh, material realm. And Jerry's right. These entities, they operate outside of our normal space and time. Um, you could call it the higher spheres. If you want to take a scientific approach, you call it subspace. I mean, there's all different terms we can apply to this. But there's, there's something going on out there. And I don't know the specifics of what's occurring in the spiritual realms, but but there there is something occurring. There's an upheaval going on these days. I think it's trickling down into the globe as a whole. Yeah. And it might might be a spiritual war, hopefully coming to an end. Um, I ha I have hope in humanity. I, I feel there will be a good future. We just have to get through these, as they call the growing pains. I think is what we're encountering right now. I, uh, it's so wonderful to me that you chose love. That was your instinct to project love on, and then that's how you won. And uh, that's such a great example for everything, like every other encounter of an archon, like in every other manifestation. If that's what you're resonating, then you, that's that's you're resonating on the winning vibe, you know. Well, look at all the uh, great sages and prophets of history who always tell us. It, it, it all comes down to love. That, that, that is the greatest tool that we have to start learn learn how to use it more and more. And healthy love, I'll say. Healthy love. That's and fair. these things want you to hate yourself. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, Anon, what would you uh, what would you tell all the psychiatrists out there that are telling their patients these uh, voices are hallucinations and uh, there's well, nothing you can do about it? You know. I would expect to have had more hallucinations, visual hallucinations since then, and I haven't. And to me, random visual hallucinations would be like, say, bubblegum flying through the air, or balloons, or a clown, or something like that. This is very unique. I think the psychiatrists and psychologists treating their schizophrenic patients need to acknowledge that this is real. And they should actually ask the patient, what are the voices telling you? Give them the tools to be able to defend themselves against them. Tell the patient, look, you got to stand up to these voices. And yes, the voices will get louder when you start defending yourself against them. That's true. Because they're feeling threatened because they're like, uh-oh, they're catching on to us. But you you gotta you gotta keep keep the fight going. You gotta defend it, you gotta defend yourself. You're you're worthy. And these entities, they they target people or they target their victims. It's Oftentimes, those that have encountered trauma, it's kind of like in high school. Remember how the bullies would know the kid who has the rough time at home and would tend to kind of go after them a little bit? It's the same idea. These entities sense people who, who suffer trauma in their life, and that's why they try to find the, the, their way in. But they'll, they'll do it to other people who haven't gone through trauma. They'll, they'll, they'll test. Just I think those who have suffered trauma 
have more, I guess, broken fragments in their psyche for them to get in and work their way into it. Um, I wanted to mention about when, as you explained the trial, I just wanted to, uh, it, it immediately reminded me of uh, the Pink Floyd's The Wall. Are you familiar with that? Uh, oh, very much so. So in the end, it was a trial. And uh, it was, you know, he was, ex you know, a creative, expressive being, and it was, they were trying to smash his consciousness down. And, um, and it, the, he was like expressing what it is to be schizophrenic and Sid Barrett uh, came to visit during the recording of a, of, uh, you know, one of their other albums and he shaved his eyebrows off and he was all really fat and weird looking. And like, he was diagnosed. Uh, he had taken many, um, much LSD and experimental hallucinogens. Uh, he was connected to the British version of the MK ultra, you know, okay. you know, and they were just pumped his roommate was giving him LSD every day. And he was just, um, uh, wait, I don't know if it's experimental medicines too, or if it was just LSD 25 exactly, but, I think but, the Pink Floyd song "Wish You Were Here" is about that, right? Wishing he was still, right. still there, I believe. Yes, he came to visit during the recording of that uh, of the that album. They uh, that's there was a description of. And so in any case, like um, it seemed like that he was inspired to to depict the description, like the internal battle of a schizophrenic, and the trial that you were expressing, and like you were defending all of humanity. Um, and you, you know, it seems to me like you, the, when I see, uh, when, when I hear you talking about the, their position on what they think of humanity, it reminds me exactly of the globalists and the eugenicists that are running, running the world right now. And what yeah. they, uh, you know, and it seems as though that, and a lot of them I know uh, are uh, ceremonial magicians and I, you know, if you look into Crowley and stuff, he was making contact with uh, non-corporeal beings. And what were the, what was the influence? And uh, so are these people influenced by these beings? And because they, they are telling the world that they're, they're terrible and they need to, you know, kill themselves. Uh, that's really the main message of the globalists uh, these days. I look at, I mean, they, uh, uh, do you agree uh, yeah oh yeah, yeah no i agree i believe there's definitely non-corporal beings out there some are malicious some are benevolent yeah. and it, it, it's it's kind of it, trying to determine which is which is, is difficult so that first entity that came into the room with the lion-like face and the serpentine body was definitely i would say benevolent the second one with the beautiful white porcelain face mask was um benevolent but like, you know, even the word angel has a duality to it. They're, you know, some of the angels aren't so nice. Well, right. also the, the voices will fake like they're angels or powerful beings to start with. And then when they have the victim under their control, believing in them, then they turn on them slowly and, and start grinding them to dust. I was kind Maybe. of scared because it's a mask. And like he did, the, the lion face disappeared, but this other thing has a mask. Maybe it's just wearing a mask now, making you love but, it. But here's, here's the thing that threw me a little bit. It was the fact that I knew that that white face porcelain mask entity was there before it knew that I was there. Like it wasn't aware that I was there. That was the interesting thing. And you had asked, you know, was it the same entity? 
switching from evil to goodness. And I, I, I don't know. I mean, it entirely could have been, it could have been the same entity, two sides of the same coin. Now my projection of love had, had thrown it off base, that it felt something it hadn't ever felt before and it didn't know how to handle it. And it could have changed into something good. It could have been a demon. Right. Maybe it was angel. thanking you for not responding with fear. Maybe it, it could was... have been, it could have been. And you know, I, I call them trials. They could have been initiations for all I know too. What it looks like. This is the uh, this is by far the most interesting story I have ever heard. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. Oh, you're welcome. And I said, you know, I'm I'm not a priest out there. I'm a mechanical engineer. I mean, I I I, I got to live a dual life quite often to to, to keep the to kind of be in the both the secular and the material world and and the spiritual and the divine at the same time. It's almost like if you one foot in the material world, one foot in the divine. You still got to pay your taxes and earn a wage and clean the dishes, but you still also have to. Uh, Nourish your soul, so to speak, because I provide yourself with a spiritual nourishment as well. So you mentioned these magicians and that sort of thing. I mean, is this, are they, is it a bad thing to get into that sort of thing or is it a good thing or is it? Uh, well, uh, it's uh, there, like you said, there's a left hand and a right hand path, you know, and the left hand path goes against nature. It goes against uh, the will of, of the creator uh to gain their own personal power and a lot of these uh a lot of those forces will um contract with non-corporeal entities to gain power in the in the material world uh they like like jerry said uh they have abilities they have knowledge that that um they can bestow on humans if the humans do what they're told, you know, so like the demon realms do have a hierarchy and this hierarchy trickles down into the living world of the living follow their, follow their will as well, you know, and we can see this in the, like we see the fruit of what, what they're doing. You know, you look at the Pope of the Catholic church and he, he's telling everybody to get the jab doesn't matter that it's got a yeah. board of babies yeah. in it. you know and you, yeah, you see, know see i'm on the opposite of the spectrum on that but you know it's, it's okay for us to, to, to disagree that that's perfectly normal oh, as long as of we course do, as long as we do right. it with civility. Well, right um well look from with your own heart at each thing and you know and uh like i said uh or like like jesus said uh, you know them by their fruits you know so uh uh so that'll help you to decipher what's what uh, but so there um i don't know if white magic is a thing like i know that there is like to be spiritual and to have uh, a connected with a connectedness um i don't think you have to do ritual magic for that uh, i think that the process of doing the doing the steps of the ritual will put your mind in a certain space like a medit like a controlled meditation and i think that is part of it also i think it's about controlling like a lot of the occult is about understanding yourself and the world around you the unseen world and um so uh our understanding psychology is a lot about what the occult is the like the the shamans or well the the dark occult priests of the past have they are um, ancient psychologists and that's where 
satanic ritual abuse comes from comes from um that's why i mean it's an ancient practice and it is a hard mind control they make slaves out of people um and this is learned from observation and you know feeding the children to moloch and they mm -hmm. witness the other children that are watching it happen and it breaks their psyche their psyche into you know um it's brainwashing by trauma yeah yes yeah. exactly trauma yeah. is the key for that control um because trauma causes the separation in the memory uh because the the self doesn't want to face the trauma wants to save itself from the experience and the memory of the trauma so it creates a blind spot and so you don't remember it um it's uh it's like a it's like your brain's psyches it's like a shock reaction so that it saves itself from having to be so damaged um and like the, the sra victims talk about the experience of their going out of body while the trauma is happening to because it's like their little body doesn't they can't handle all the pain um it's really sad and they have to dissociate from the body in order to, to, to get through exactly. it it's almost like a, yeah going yeah. to shock in a sense right yeah. and this and this causes the the not the memory it blanks the memory away because the, the psyche doesn't want to remember that anymore and with hypnosis they can program it so this is obviously a very dark path of magic and it's um you know you don't even have to believe in like evil spirits to know that that is a reaction that the brain does and then if you have no morals then you can use trauma against people to control them you know um a lot of a lot of dark cult are atheists you know a lot of them also experience these realms and they know you know it's different levels of satanism you know but um the the higher levels have described that lion-headed being with the snake body and the two snake uh the two snakes is like the tail legs of a braxis a braxis right. is also depicted with a rooster head yep and um and a human body with a whip and a shield like a flail and apparently all other gods are afraid of it <laughs> like it's the highest on the totem pole um yeah I don't, I don't know if there's different species i know i can take the scientific approach to call them species you know there could be a whole species right. of entities in in these uh other realms mm -hmm. beyond the bandwidth of our normal vision and normal reality or if a brax is a mutable figure that, that can change forms you know i mean that that when i had that vision it changed from the lion face to something very horrible to the hobgoblin type type of face same yes. idea maybe abraxas can be either have the rooster head mm -hmm. or the lion right. dog-like face depending on the situation of its target so the second face of the gray scary old hag also had one eye as well yeah i mean that, that's i would say i mean it was just scratched out not like it was it gone looked, it, it, looked, it looked like it scratched out but it couldn't i wouldn't say the eye could have still been there i mean it was it was almost 30 years ago that i had that this occurred mm -hmm. so i met some of the details are not that solid in, in, in my memory like for example the that view i showed you of the creature first coming out of the cloud from the side that's 100 accurate because i remember laughing at it how ridiculous i thought it looked 
But as far as the details of the face and the eye, I could have sworn that, yeah, that, that looked like something, like there was a big scratch right here, I remember, yeah. and it looked like it could have possibly even been, been blind that eye from that, yeah. that scratch or, or, or that impact. So if you look at um, a lot of the satanic music and culture, a lot of these people will cover up their left eye uh, or what maybe it's the right eye. they cover up one eye to like show hey i'm in the i'm in the group i'm in the... that's the sign huh yeah yeah it's one uh, of them i didn't know. know that yeah it's news to me yeah and um and also one eye has a positive idea of like uh when you when you close the two eyes the visual eyes the third eye is one you know this the regular eyes are two, but the third eye is just the one. So the, the pineal gland, right? As they call it, or yeah, yeah. A lot of people relate that to the idea of the because, like, the chakras kind of occur at different um, uh, glands in the body. <laughs> it's interesting. Now, you know, a lot of this stuff. It's we don't really know for sure what's going on. A lot of stuff is conjecture, but, but there are some common sure. patterns here. So I keep yes. saying there's something going on. Just, just we're not 100 percent sure. You know, you talk about some of the non-corporeal entities. I almost feel like it's, you know, it's almost like a car. You know, you, you buy a Toyota. It, it's not that powerful, but it'll get you from point A to point B fairly safely. It's very forgiving. You go and buy like a Ferrari or a Lamborghini. It's a high-end sports car, and it's not forgiving. If you make a mistake in, in that or steering, it's the same with the horse. You know, some horses, like the, the ones at, at the shows that are riding kids, they're very calm and tame. Or a thoroughbred racehorse, it'll kill you if you don't know how to handle it. I was I thrown from a horse as a kid. You know. Oh, sorry it's, to hear that. it's scary. No, I mean, it's, it's fine, but I'm just, I, it's so much power and you're just a little person. Mm -hmm. you know? But I guess I'm making the analogy that that's kind of like dealing with some of these non-corporal entities. If mm -hmm. you're not properly grounded or your ego isn't right, you're not the right jockey to be riding a thoroughbred right. racehorse. And that's okay. what, that's what the levels of ritual, uh, uh, that's where the magician will attain more control or they think and this gives them the confidence to you know if they are standing in the triangle and they manifest in the circle or you know like they have someone else look at the scrying mirror while they you know um, there's different ways of trying to control the interaction you tell me uh, something if you were a non-corporeal entity would you want a human being trying to control you of course not no. Right. Would, would you I mean, like I, work, work work with that human being if it was a, a cooperative relationship? Well, if uh, if they control legions of humans, you know, like yeah. look, at, look at Rockefeller. He's there standing with Marina Abramovich in front of a painting titled Satan Commanding His Legions. I mean, and they're proud, happy to be in front of him. Look at us. They I mean, they uh, they broadcast their evil. They're confident in their evil. They say, look how much power we have because we're working with this level of demons. We're, you know, we're uh, so like, it's, I mean, you got to believe it, but it, for me, I mean, you don't really have to believe it. I guess they believe it. You know, the Rockefellers believe it. Marine Bravovich believes it. You know, I'm an open-minded skeptic. Let's right? put it that way. That'll help. That's me too. <laughs> Well, one thing I learned in working with the criminally insane, some of these guys were violent murderers, was you can't show any fear. You know, right. no matter how shook up you are, you can't show any fear. You got like to sit predator. there and like they're a predator. And, yeah. yeah. And staring down. Otherwise, it's like running from a bear or a dog or something. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're going to overtake you and squash you. 
So I remember staring at some of these things, you know, the eyes would change in the patient and they just become black. And it was yeah. like, you know, and now said, it's like this staring wow. contest where it might've gone on for 15 or 30 seconds, but it seemed like forever. <laughs> and yeah. you could tell that it was a different thing. In the oh, it was a different, totally. Right. There was one patient, uh, he was a meth addict. He was just shaking like a leaf, you know, the whole time he was in the emergency room. And then when, you know, I, I was interviewing him and asking him questions, uh, and especially questions that sent that he didn't want me to know the answers to. I mean, he just went stark still, you know, hmm. after something shaking, else all, took all, control something of him. else took control of him. He went stark wow. still. His wow. eyes got black, like dark pools of cold changed hatred. Color. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I'd, I'd never so that... experienced cold hatred like that in my life anywhere. I mean, it was just you felt just, it. I felt yeah. it. It was just right. frigid, cold hatred. It wow. didn't say a word, but the feeling was just overwhelming. That's all right. Oh, go ahead, please. One of the reasons I one of the reasons I think I survived what I went through the ordeals too is I I was doing it without being on any type of drugs or or recreational medication. You know, I stayed away from the cocaines and all that stuff. I, I've never tried cocaine in my life. Never really wanted to. So I think that was part of my saving grace as well. But it, it makes it tough because you're you're confronting these evils and these energies head on. Yeah. Right. There's no numbing. It, you have to encounter and experience all the fear and all the. Well, if you notice, yes. a lot of the schizophrenics will seek out drugs on their own to try to cope. To self-medicate, you know, right. To self-medicate. Yeah. And I've heard a number of times that the voices didn't like marijuana because it kind of calmed people down, you know, right. and, and it does doesn't help. have any side effects. But for those who are on the fence, you yeah. know, those that are kind of real unstable, it, it could throw them over. Right. Uh, um, it's another, um, the people that do SRA control of trauma they also dislike their victims to use cannabis because it breaks down the mind control um it helps the the memories pop up and like it gives it it, it reduces the rigidity of the of the walls between the separations between the selves and um it's it's interesting how cannabis is such a healing plant it's like yeah. Maybe yeah, that's I, why they outlawed it for so long. Exactly well, that. Yeah. I, I in my views, I mean, cannabis, I feel it definitely has its place, mm -hmm. but I don't think it's places everywhere either. That's and true. That's, I, I think we got to be careful, careful with that. Yeah. It's, true. It's, yeah. You got to use your head. It's a medicine, you know, it's uh, helped patients with, with seizures where no, nothing else has worked. Yes. Too, yeah. And they can do that without even using the psychoactive part. They can juice the leaf of the cannabis buds uh, and if you don't light them on fire, then it doesn't become psychoactive. And you can take larger amounts of THC in like a juice of the leaf of the cannabis and you won't get high. You could drink a tall glass of that and go drive and pick up your kids. Hmm. It's um, it's magic. This plant, it, you know, it'll feed us, house us, give us fuel. It's, you know, it's, it'll save or, everybody. Or... <laughs> It does that to people that ingest it to make it want more and more of it in some way so that you'll keep planting it and cultivating it and growing oh, it. Oh, right, right, right. You know, like, like, it's a symbiosis. We symbiosis work for it thing, right? it works for us. Right, right. Yes, yes. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing. I love it. <laughs> I just, I've, yeah. I've, I've seen some people's personalities change being on cannabis over time, right. though, too. So, I mean, like right. I said, I haven't, and I, I grew up around that stuff. I knew what mm -hmm. Sensimillion was as a seven year old kid, for goodness sakes. <laughs> right. you know, Hawaiian yeah. gold, Nebraska red. Right. Um, <laughs> that's great. That's great. So, I knew um, all the, I, I all the language that, and the lingo. I think that um, the the alcohol really 
is the main feed like feed for these things because yeah. it is a depressant and it like it it causes depression in people if they do if they over they do it too much in their life it and does. so the you know they call it spirits you know and no, they don't call the it that soul. for nothing exactly yeah, yeah. and that's and, the only one that's legal that we're allowed to drink you know yeah. to have like well it's on. got worse effects than that i mean for every Very ounce much. you drink there's a 10 hour nervous low-key nervous withdrawal that people don't realize that that's going on wow. so you drink a six-pack you got 60 hours of a withdrawal of this nervous you know jittery effect and people aren't told that so right. they project that out to their wives and husbands and kids you know and blast them because they feel they're causing the nervous jitteriness it's it's yeah. it's a bad drug oh alcohol yeah. is much much worse than cannabis i'd definitely yeah. say that yeah yeah, yeah. No doubt. I was just uh, I was just rec uh, uh, remarking that uh, these you know the satanic eugenicists that run society they say no on cannabis and yes on alcohol and yeah and they also run all of that methamphetamine from Mexico you know the CIA works with the cartels like it's all one big system yeah. of like flooding people's homes and destroying their childhood destroying the parents. Um, right. It's right. one big fentanyl, machine. Fentanyl too. I mean, right. They, you fentanyl know, they, from China. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They caught uh, they caught some CIA agents here in Arizona smuggling, you know, 300 pounds of uh, cocaine, I think, across the border. That's, that's and, where all and, the cocaine comes from. Yeah. 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 And they couldn't do anything. You know, they had the badges and stuff and their boss stuck up for them. And then when the wow. sheriff went to investigate it, it's like, what are you talking about? Huh. So the, the feds just drove away with it and the sheriff couldn't yeah, do anything. They, they couldn't do anything. Wow. Yeah. See it's, and that, so that's why the non-corporeal demons will work with certain humans because those humans have control over other humans, legions of them. That's what gives them their ranking in the hierarchy. So um, people that are, that work their way up into government, they uh, prove their, immorality through uh doing devious things that can lead to blackmail and that gives them their you know spot in the government like dennis hastert was a, a just you know deplorable pedophile for his entire life and he was the longest sitting uh speaker of the house uh it's you know it, they're rewarded the evil ones are rewarded and placed where they, yeah, they can control others so the evil is encouraged by these demon voices and the humans accept them and, and willingly contract and it leads them into a hellish realm, I'm sure. Uh, but while they're here uh, in the material world, they're rewarded with money and they're, you know, they're given their higher, they please the higher ups and they get, you know, a little bit of spending cash and same thing yeah, with it's a demons. craving for power while in this material realm right yeah. and power yeah. only comes from obedience to authority and really like god gave us free will everyone has free will and the, we always have a choice to choose love instead of fear you know that's uh i think that's why they hate us because they don't yeah. have that anymore they, they have don't to they don't creativity they don't lack creativity right and, and I guess the divine spark too, because I'm you know get into all the different you know what Crowley says and what Paladin says about the divine spark and everything and the right. what occurred with the fall of Sophia. I mean, there's lots of different perspectives and interpretations of that. Right. So you know, as far as authority goes, I mean, I guess 
there's authority that is deserving of respect. I mean, I, I will respect authority if I feel they're deserving of it. Right. I mean, it, it, here's a hypothetical you get question. To choose. You. you choose to obey or not every time. So you choose with your free will that's given by God to, uh, I, you know, I like this thing. I will give, I will go along with that. So like, I, you know, my son follows what I say because he loves me. You know, and there's that kind of like I am an authority in his life, uh, but I, but ultimately he chooses what he does. You know, he can make a mess on the floor, and I can tell him no, but it, you know, it's still uh, God gave us all that ability. So when um, when you have love and respect for another thing, you can choose to go along with it, but it's still your choice. You retain right. that every time. Is God yeah. an authority? Here's a metaphysical question for you. Is God an authority? I think you you choose if you uh, you know I I think that I think that God created the uh, you know from my own personal ideas or whatever, but uh, I, I believe that God created the system and the method and the the like the matrix, and uh, it like I get to choose where I land with my own choices because of my free will so like you know god uh god gives me the ability to do good or bad this is a duality this realm has duality and um and i think that that god doesn't take a a, a place like god is exper like experiencing through me maybe i'm a fractal piece of that consciousness yeah you know? yeah fragment yes yes uh, so do yes. not comply with what you don't believe in right yeah and make sure like to and because maybe some some non-corporeal demon could say hey i'm god obey me and be like oh whoops you know oh they've done that yeah the voices have done that yeah. you know actually told people that yeah yeah you gotta so. use your critical thinking skills just to try and be decent human beings you know whatever, right. whatever religious path you you follow god doesn't really care it really comes down to are you trying to be a decent human being the best you can given the right. tools that you have available to you? That's what yeah. it comes down to. Yeah. Do good yeah. when you can. Don't yeah. cause suffering. Yeah. Resonate with love. Yeah. That's exactly. the answers. Yeah. This is beautiful. This is, uh, I, so Chanubis, uh, this is who it was. And uh, this is the most amazing story i've ever heard i'm so thankful that, <laughs> that you one. told us about your experience of chinubis oh, thank welcome. you jerry for uh uh connecting us and um you know being here oh, again no, no thank, problem people thank, need to hear this yes yes thank you anon for sharing this and being here uh i hope to continue having contact with you and maybe we can uh have further engagement and talk about uh what what you think or how you know other uh experiences that you've had uh that you didn't mention here today oh, i'd definitely like to do that and if i may do a quick plug i did write a please. book based on yes. some of these experiences wonderful revelations on interstellar highway 10 i don't know if that's showing it was a mirror image the title or, i or see not. it revelations on interstellar highway 10 and um, uh, it's it, it talks a little bit about my experiences but it's more of a, a personal journey for anybody who's searching for god or their soul or is trying to find some answer this is a little bit of Part of my search and this it took this is written over about 25 to 30 years i mean it took a while to write it there's a lot in here it, it's it's a heavy read but it, i feel it's a good read and I'll, I'll send you a link to my website so that if you're in the show notes you can put that there and if you're 
I will. You and the audience wants to investigate it. They just click on the link and it'll take them to my website. That is beautiful. Okay. I got one here too that Sherry Sweeney and I wrote. Now, Sherry was also heard voices. That's, and she was uh, the co-author with this. For the for the listeners that aren't watching, an amazing journey into the psychotic mind, breaking the spell of the ivory tower by Jerry Marzinski and Sherry Sweeney. Yeah. You can get that get that on our website at jerrymarzinski.com or it's on Amazon uh, with a fairly high rating. That's so if great. you want to know more about the psychotic voices and how we came to determine that these things were entities and not uh, uh, hallucinations, and, and it also gives a summary of the psychiatric mafia and their history of uh, treating mental illness, which is barbaric for the most part. Yes, it's very informative. And it, and it gave me a lot uh, of understanding that connected a lot of pieces. And um, there, it's... I'm just so thankful that you guys are here and sharing all of this information and it's really informing me and I'm understanding things from a different place and then recognizing what it's the same of what you're saying from your end of, of your reality. And we're finding truth from different angles and it's great to have these conversations and I very much look forward to more. Uh, I hope to speak with both of you again soon um uh is is there anything else that we didn't say that needs to be said again uh or spoken well, about just just in line with the the title of your show people are waking up to this the dead are yeah. waking up that's right yep they're waking yes. up God bless you know, due to to people like an anon there it takes a lot of courage to come out and say this and be that open and honest you know there's there's a lot of people out there who've had some experience, a lot of experience with that, they, they, they don't want any part of, you know, this. And a lot of them are still mm -hmm. working. They don't want to risk that. Right. Um, well, I, hey, I, if I was still working, I wouldn't be doing this. <laughs> they got yeah. me. Yeah, I hear that. Well, I'm, I'm just a regular guy. I work at a factory. I don't have any commercials. I don't work for anybody else. You know, it's just, you know, I am interested and I want to speak to you guys. And I'm so thankful that you're sharing with me. And I'm trying to spread it as much and far and wide as I can. And I'm very, uh, I'm just glad to be here and a part of this. You know, well, it's people so like you that are going to make the difference. Because this isn't, you're, you're not going to convince the psychiatric mafia or psychiatry or uh, psychology right. or the, the institution. This has to come up from the bottom from people who've experienced right. this and saying, this is not the truth. You know, what they've told us is not the truth, and it doesn't work. Yeah. Sean, yes. you're helping us get the word out, and we thank you for that. Yes. Well, anything yeah. I can do, I'm, I, you know, I'm honored, and thank you. So let's, let's do this again. Let's, you know, if you have any ideas, if you have any uh, thoughts you, that you're thinking, you are always welcome to Wake the Dead. We love to hear your, uh, your, your input and what you have rolling around in your mind, because, uh, you know, sharing that, and our inspiration and our creative thoughts is really uh, what inspires and the creative thoughts of others. And it's like a spark that, that lights a fire in others. Okay. I love it. Um, I'll you. keep that in mind. I, I run into some interesting characters. Yeah, please bring them along. We love this. This <laughs> okay. is great. Thank you. All right. Well, thanks for having us. Well, it's my pleasure. Right. Thank you both again. And thank you all for listening to Wake the Dead.